Hey there, and welcome to another episode of The Bible. Wait, what? Yes, this is the podcast that unravels the mysteries of the Bible's most perplexing, puzzling, and thought-provoking passages. My name is Rowan, and each session I'm joined by a member of our team at C3 Church, Camden, Picton, and Thoreau, as they quiz me on some of the more complicated, confusing, challenging, and even confronting passages that we read in our weekly Bible reading plan. understand that reading the Bible can be a challenging and perplexing experience. Many people just don't know where to start, they get confused, and so they give up. Well, that's why this podcast exists, to equip you with the tools and the knowledge to explore the richness and depth of the Bible for yourself. So grab your Bible, take a deep breath, and join us as we explore this week's passages. learn more about us or to get in touch with us at C3 Church Camden, Picton and Thoreau, visit any of our three locations websites. That's c3camden.church, c3picton.church and c3thoreau.church. Or you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube just by searching for any of our locations names. So without any further delay, let's dive into today's conversation. Well, hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Bible. Wait, what? <laughs> and I am sitting down with Phil Whedon. I'm still croaky for those that have been following my uh, journey of illness over the last several episodes. But we're here, Phil. We are. Um, this is take two for us. Phil showed up at the door at the building at Thoreau last Wednesday afternoon. He said, where are you? And I had my dates wrong, but I was actually very, very ill in bed. <laughs> So we're doing a one-man show it and... would have been Phil on his own. <laughs> yeah. We're doing a very quick episode. Oh, I had done last week's episode. I'd done that with with G- Jimmy in the morning and then I was fading by the end of that. So apologies to anyone who listened to that one. I was really out of it by the end of it and went home and oh, I was in bed for a good couple of days. Uh, hopefully it didn't say any heresy, so we need to start. Oh, I think there or... might have been a few crazy things in amongst <laughs> it. My head was spinning by the end of that. So thank you, Jimmy, for persevering. Yeah. But uh, we're still on recovery road, but we're here uh, with you, with Phil. We're going to continue our our series on ministry. What are we talking about today? We're, we're heading into uh, continuing with the story of David and Absalom. And yeah. Yeah. Just how screwed up a family is. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Especially this family. Well, we all are. We've all got screwed all, up families. Yeah. We've all got our own issues, but yeah. um, these seems like these ones, uh, the Bible loves to highlight David's screwed up family. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was talking about it with Jimmy, if I remember correctly, you know, that so much of this we're going to do today as we go through this journey of the fallout in David's family is directly related to mm. his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah, isn't it really? Yeah. It was the implications and the, the fallout of that that caused the mess in his family. Mm. But it's... Um but as I think pretty sure you've sort of said uh, numerous times that yeah, oh, you have been saying about David that it's a, um, well, it's a reflection on um, humanity and how we can yeah take pages out of his book and how honest he is when throughout the Psalms and True. throughout all this and you can say well, thank God doesn't God doesn't want perfect people. No, he doesn't write us off when we fail. No. He's he he um yeah, there are consequences, but he's always ready to reach out to those who are repentant yeah. and prepared to make restitution and put right the things they've done wrong wherever they mm. can. Mm. 
as well mm. as I'd say it's <clears throat> yeah. Um, I remember hearing one person, um, some podcast that was like, well, um, actually it was um, podcasts and um, Holy Post talking to Lecrae. Oh yeah, and yep. Lecrae said um, basically the stuff that he's had to deal with with in the church and outside the church um, that's made him who he is today. Would he have? At times he thinks, "Do I? Would I wish not to have gone through that?" But then other times he says, "I'm glad that I have gone through that." That's right. To yeah. get to this point, of, the crises and the misunderstandings and the, the poor treatment and the mistakes we make ourselves—they yeah. all are redeem, redemptive in God's economy and yeah. makes us into the people we are today. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. A lot more relatable to the average person. Yeah, and we, we'll see that in David's family, won't we? Today. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so we're going to kick it off. We're gonna, how are we going to do? We're going to do all the Samuels and then the New Testament? Or that's what, what, what I was thinking. That's yeah. how we'll do it. All right, yeah. that's how we're doing it today. Keeping keeping the flow of thought. Keeping the flow with, yeah. All right. With David and Absalom. And well, why don't we just jump right into 2 yeah. Samuel 15 start us off there, Phil. Yeah, so just a, um, a recap. Ab, um, just prior to 15, this, this is when um, Absalom, uh, I've got, um, really, yeah, it came out of favour with um, King David. And had, um, or basically, his sister got raped, and Absalom took it in his own own hands to um, kill his half brother and to um, well, try and right the wrong. Yep. But in the process, that really destroyed um, a relationship with David. Yep. Yep. Uh, with his own with his own dad. Yeah. And so for um, a few years, he just was not allowed to anywhere near. King David. Yeah, he was. He ran yeah, away, and then he tried to come back. And I talked about this with Jimmy. He eventually came back, but even then, David said, "No, he can't come anywhere near me." And yeah. Yeah. David was still smarting from the whole thing, wasn't he? Yeah. And eventually, he convinced he convinced David to let him back. Yeah. yeah. But the damage was done. Really, yeah. the relational damage was done with his mm. dad by that point. Yeah. So this was in chapter fifteen. It was like this is where um I've um I wrote down Absalom undercutting King David. Mm, it was yes. Like trying to upset. Usurped the, the throne. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, by basically trying to get the, um, or oh, he got the whole Israel on his side. Yeah, he did. He won. Yeah. He stole, it says he stole the hearts of Israel or something like that. It'll say in one of the versions. Yeah, um, yeah in this way, it'll be. Yeah, somewhere it'll actually say that he stole the hearts of Israel. Um, yes, in verse six, uh, mm. like basically he um, intervened when people were coming to David. He basically sort of said, "No, don't don't worry about bothering the king. Come and come let and see me. me. If there was if there was someone else who could judge fairly, then this this yeah. place would be so much better." Yeah, he sweet talked the people, didn't he? He did. He did. He knew how to suck up. Yeah, he he certainly knew how to sweet sweet talk yeah. them and suck up to them to the yeah. point where they. They bought into his narrative. They did. In verse 6 it says, Absalom did this with everyone who came to the king for judgment and so he stole the hearts of all the people of Israel. So the picture is Absalom's not really seeing the king. He's just hanging around outside the palace when everyone shows up to, you know, make mm. a claim about something and he says, come over here, let me help yeah. you out. And yeah. 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 Let me help you sort your problems. That never happens in life, does it? Never happens in church life ever. No. No, never. No. Never happens in the workplace, in the business world, the family world. Of course no. it happens everywhere, folks. Yeah. yeah. And um, I must admit, it says here in verse 7, it took, after four years, Absalom said to the king, let me go to Hebron to offer a sacrifice. So it took me four years of undercutting the yes. king to get to um, this point where Absalom says, well, I can probably take the throne now. You can launch a coup now, yeah. Yeah. That's right. Um, so my mind doesn't think that far in advance. No, this is, he's playing a long con here, isn't he? It's a long it game. 
It yep. is. Um, yep, exactly. So, I, yeah, I don't know if I could keep a straight face with doing that for four years. No, um, no he was pretty duplicitous, yeah. old Absalom. Yeah. Um, so he ultimately sort of said, okay, well, um, yeah, let said to King David, let me go to Hebron so I can start offering a sacrifice because I supposedly made a vow. Well, he probably did make a vow saying I'm going to take over the throne so I've got to go and fulfil yeah, that's probably throat. true. I've never yeah. thought about that. That's probably the vow he made, yeah. yeah. Um, um, oh, he said actually the vow was if um, I would sacrifice oh, the yeah, Lord come if, back he here. Will, if he was brought back to yeah, Jerusalem. that's but, right. That might have been a bit of a ploy boy. on the side to, yeah. yeah, he was definitely, his mission was to go there and launch a coup. Yeah. No doubt about that. Yeah. <clears throat> so he did. He sent secrets, messengers to all the tribes of Israel. to. So Hebron is just like a few kilometres down the road from Jerusalem. It's, mm. I mean, we haven't been there, have we, but it's... No. It's just inside the West Bank. It's probably just past Jerusalem. Bethlehem is probably only probably. 10, 15 kilometres from Jerusalem, yeah. something like yeah. that. It's pretty yeah. close. And I must admit, Hebron in today's world is a real political It's a political hotbed. hotbed. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, yeah. Streets that have been closed for yeah. uh, 15 years and nobody's yeah. allowed to walk down them. No, it's not, it's not. That's why we don't go there. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, one of the ones we stay away from. Um, but you can. You there can. Is, yeah, you people can, do can go there. there. Yeah, you yeah. can do tours and there. there. Yep. some quite histor- um, historical um, yeah, well, places there. Yeah, definitely yeah. very much so. Abraham yeah. had a history in Hebron. Yeah. Yep. So, um, oh, pardon me. So, um, basically he sort of um, invited all these people, like 200 men from Jerusalem as guests um, who were oblivious to the intentions. And, um, um, but he said, yeah, let's, um, oh, he, um, what did I have here? Um, basically he was sending out messages to say, getting all the people to come join him. Mm. Um, and, and then David hears about this coup that he's doing. Um, in verse 13, it says, A messenger soon arrived in Jerusalem to tell David, All Israel has joined Absalom in a conspiracy against you. That would be, I don't know, uh, hit blindsided. Totally. Like. Yeah, one minute you find, the next minute you find out your own son has launched a coup d'etat. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and especially <laughs> when they say all Israel. It's like, well, is there anybody left? Yeah, uh, exactly. He's he managed to gain enough momentum among mm, the people mm, to definitely launch mm, a, this serious coup. And it doesn't say just um, like oh, the rest of Israel. It's like it's even including his own family. Yeah, like that's his own right. Tribe. His own tribe. Um, but as it goes down, it actually doesn't. Um, there's people who get um, there are people upset. on his side. There's people yeah. on his side. Which so. there is in. I mean, you think about it in any sociological situation. There's always people who are pro one political party and one another. I mean, that's just human nature. Yeah. But there was obviously enough people who either had bought into the conspiracy or were just like these 200, they were just innocent bystanders along for the ride that went, well, this must be what's happening, so let's just go with, with it. it. Yeah. 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 Um, but I was quite surprised. It's like, well, okay, the next thing is um, um, David um, and all his household um, left Jerusalem. Mm. They all ran. And mm. I'm trying to think, why wouldn't they stay and fight? Um, why? I think there might be a clue in the text from memory. Um, I think the concern is that if they get out now, they would avoid bloodshed within Jerusalem. They would avoid a civil war in Jerusalem. Is that? Am I just imagining that or have I read that oh, somewhere? It does. It does. Verse 14. It says, um, if we get out of the city, both we and the city of Jerusalem will be spared from disaster. Yeah, so I think they're thinking let's avoid a civil war and get out of here. Yeah. Uh, because, yeah, I mean, the next logical step would have been for Absalom to show up. He's, he's amassed an army. Mm. On his side, he's going to take the 15-kilometre march up to Jerusalem and yeah. attack and besiege the city, and any and innocent people will be taken out in that process yeah. as they are in any civil war. Yeah. 
So no. David quite wisely went, let's protect our own skins and protect the people. Mm. Yeah. I just sort of find that as like, oh, most people wouldn't, yeah. I don't know. If most, most people would stand their ground? Stand the ground. That was that would be my thoughts. Yeah. Um, I think uh, that's the clue. I think maybe it is that I don't – maybe it's that David didn't want to drag the rest of the city into it. Yeah. And true, I just was thinking of um, other coups that have happened around the world like um, – well, think about was he? Fernand Marcos. Marcos, yeah, who, locked himself and, down, and then nicked off and left the yep. left the left everybody in their turmoil. Yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah, I can now see why he probably did it. Uh, I suspect it's more a protective thing for the people rather than necessarily trying to protect himself. Yeah. You got to remember, I mentioned this to Jimmy too. You have got to remember that all the way through this story, we're going to see it in the next couple of chapters as well. All the way through this story. David is vividly aware that this unrest within his own family mm. is his fault. Yeah. So that that will come up time and time again. We'll see that. So I think you've got to bring that into the equation is that as David is coping with all of this mess, there's a part of his voice going, my sin with Bathsheba. Nathan told me that mm. out of the consequences, even though God forgave me of my sin, the consequences is that out of my own household calamity will come. Yeah. So he knew <clears throat> the fallout with all three sons that all start with A, Adonijah, Amnon, and Absalom. Adonijah will come into it later on. But in, with all three of those sons, he was vividly aware that it had a lot to do with him. Mm. And so that that's playing on his psyche, I think. Yeah. Um, but the average – I'm just sort of thinking like but the average person probably – I don't know whether the average person would um, – Bring it to their psyche as much as it seems like it has as, as much as David. Oh, no, I don't think thinks. they would. Well, I, I would say that's part of that's a credit to David that yeah. he was he was vividly aware of his own sinfulness and those actions. I think most people blaze through. Most of us would blaze through life unaware of how much fallout our own poor choices and sinful actions have on True. other people. Whereas David seems to be vividly aware of that. Yeah, yeah. and I think he grieves that. Mm. That's up to you. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I, I, that's how I view the story. I think yeah. shows him, it shows a, an awareness in David of implications of his own actions, which would not be uncommon for kings because I mean, we, it would be uncommon for kings because most of the kings you read about in the Bible and in history, they don't give a rats about anybody else. They're True. just in it for themselves. Yeah, that's mm. what I was thinking. Like, yeah, you're, yeah. Like Michael shoots through and, yeah, and, you know, Saddam Hussein locked himself down and, you know, that's just normal, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Um, look after yourself. Look after yourself. But David yeah. doesn't seem to be just looking after himself. I think that's the, the, mm. the key in the narrative here. Mm. And and I must say he didn't – he was looking after other people because um, it does say further down there was somebody who's uh, – Oh, Itai? Uh, Itai. Itai the Gittai, um, yep. A leader of men from Gath who was going to join Absalom um, with um, going out into exile. And um, David return, says to him, you only recently came – yeah. Um, so don't come and join us. Like you came to um, live in Jerusalem, so go back and so stay there. Stay there. Um, so he is looking after them. Uh, yeah, and notice who Itai is. Where's he from? Gath. I've got Gath. Yeah, what's that make him? Can't remember. What Gath? Um, Philistine territory. Ah, okay. Yep. Gath is one of the five Philistine cities. Right. I forgot that one. So this is probably someone that maybe David had befriended in his time. Mm. When he was over when there. He was, yeah, when he was in Philistine territory prior to becoming the king, I'm guessing. Yeah. Uh, yes, he's not a Jew. Yeah, I knew that one. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Uh, so, no, it was – it was. Um, well, actually, no, it, um, he actually still came along. 
Yeah, he, like he did said, come. David tried to talk him out of it, but yeah. he did go, didn't he? Yeah, he sort yes. of said, uh, Etai said to the king, I vow by the Lord and by my, your own life that I will go wherever my lord the king goes, yeah, no matter so what went. happens. Yep. And so David said, okay, tag along. Um, but I did like where it says everyone cried loudly as the king went past. So the the um, people who lived in Jerusalem. They loved David. They loved David. They yeah. Yeah, looked yeah. up to him and um, were upset when he was going. No, exactly. Well, yeah. it wasn't that long before he'd given them all cakes and raisins and dates and bread mm. and all kinds of stuff when he brought the ark in. So, yeah, they had a respect yeah. for David and then mm. they saw this as, you know, as a horrible loss mm. of the king mm. having to leave. Mm. But one thing I was pointed out, I was... I listed there was like they they went out via the Kidron Valley and up the Mount of Olives mm-hmm. and it was like um, doing a plug for Israel for next yep, year. Come on, um, we'll be walking. Uh, we'll walk down the up. Mount of Olives. We won't try and walk up it. Well, well, you can if you want to. You can come with me early morning yeah. to walk up it. But walking down, it's a whole lot easier than walking up it. It is. It is a quite steep hill. Yes, it is. Yeah. But, but but it definitely is a great place. And then out in the top of the Mount of Olives, you can just about see the dead the Dead Sea and the desert. Um, yep. And if you go up to up the Herva Synagogue, you can see the Dead Sea. You can see the Dead Sea up there too. Yep, yeah, certainly can. So, so another plug for Israel next year. Yep, for sure. Come join us. Yeah. <clears throat> um, what else was in that one? That um, oh, the priests wanted to take the ark um, out yep. of the temple. Yep. Um, well, there's no temple out of the, the tent. Temp- yep, the tent, the tabernacle. Yep. And um, David said, "No, go back. Um, if the Lord sees fit." He'll bring me back to see the ark. And I love this of David. Even in the midst of all of this, he's still relying on God. He's not yeah. trying to take matters into his own hands. Yeah. He's going, well, if this is what the Lord wants, I'm okay with that. But if not, I'll trust that he'll bring me back here again. Yeah. Yeah. So he's definitely got a, a love for the tabernacle. He does. Uh, yeah. Um, and it's also spot interesting because the, the priest would have been saying, let's take the ark because that's we're taking God's presence with us. Yeah. And I think – it shows me that David isn't trying to use God for his benefit yeah. because to take the ark would have been selfish. Like, oh, I'm going to take God and use him for me. This is more about, no, I'm God's servant. He's not mine, Yeah, which I think is a great um, – he's prepared to go, no, I, I trust that God's got a bigger plan. Hmm. Uh, the other thing I was thinking is like, oh, yeah, imagine, um, yeah, lugging the ark of the covenant on your shoulders. Up and over the hill. Over the hills. Oh, yeah. and it's like, well, Into the yeah. desert, yeah. Um, and so if um, Absalom comes after me, it's like... Yeah. Slow me down. Going to slow me down. Yeah, from a logistical yeah. perspective, yeah. yep. Um, um, David was upset. He was weeping as he went, covered his head and um, um, and his feet were bare as a sign of mourning because he was upset with what mm-hmm. was going on. Um, everybody did that as well. Um, but he was still sort of trying to... He wasn't sort of having a coup of sort of saying, or with the coup, sorry, um, running running away and not thinking about possibly the future and like, well, because he was said um, said to his advisor of Hithophel. He'd heard that Ahithophel was, had swapped sides, um, who was one of his chief advisors, had yeah. basically swapped sides to Absalom, yeah. yeah. Um, so he was, yeah, told that. Um, so David sort of said, well, okay, I've got another advisor, Hushai. Yep. Um, the archite, um, and said, well, yeah, you go back and you become an advisor for Absalom and... You sweet-talk Absalom at his own game that he sweet-talked everyone else at. Yeah, yeah, you try and, yeah, that's... Um, Frust- frustrate Ahithophel's advice. Yeah. yeah, so that basically it was like, and give me word back mm. so uh, to know what's going on and um, and possibly that's how I can come it back. Re- it reads like a like a... 
mystery story, doesn't it? Like, you know, it's it's like an action movie, this stuff. Yeah. 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 Conspiracy and, you know, undercover, cloak and dagger stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's like, yeah, the spies, apart, within spies. Sort totally. Of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, um, I found that fascinating that it was like, okay, well, he just wasn't running and not looking back. It was like, well, no, I'm going to still keep my fingers in the pie in that sense. Yeah. 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 Which makes me think, like you said, he, he has some sense of this can't be God's will. Mm. So I'm going to, if it is, it is, but I'm going to trust him and I'm going to do what I can to try to unwind all this. Yeah. Um, and, and hope that in the Lord will be faithful and he'll bring you back here again. Yeah. So he's still trying to figure all that out. Mm. It must have been hard on him to hear that his son had launched a conspiracy and basically was going to kill him. That's what would have happened. Oh, yes. Um, mm. that was, yeah, I don't know how I'd feel if I had total, yeah. No. That would happen, yeah. Yeah, um, for sure. Well, we get a hint of David's pain when he in one of the Psalms where it's one of Jesus' quotes where he says the one who went to the temple was the one who, uh, you know, the one who mm. I shared the bread with is the one who's betrayed me. I mean, yeah. Jesus quotes that about Judas, but that's that's the kind of depth of pain. Some people think it was Joe that he was talking about, but whoever it was he was talking about, it was someone who was very close to him, could have been Absalom, yeah. who was very close to him, who they walked to the temple together, they hang out together, and then he betrayed his mm. trust. Mm. Yeah. Well, All as, right. as you read, it could be a couple of people like, yeah. There's no shortage, shortage of people, people in David's world it could have been, is there? yeah. yeah. So that sort of sets up for the next chapter that we've got this Absalom's about to launch this coup. They've fled out of Jerusalem uh, and it's all sort of staged for the next part of the journey, isn't it? Anything yeah. else you wanted to add there before we go on to 2 no, Samuel 16? No, that's all I've got. All right. Moment. We'll head over to the next chapter. Okay. Back to 2 Samuel chapter 16. <clears throat> this is where um, David is um, still on the journey out of Jerusalem. He's really. at the top of the hill, isn't he? Yeah. He's at the summit of the Mount of Olives, which um, gives you awesome view. So another yep. plug for come to Israel. Uh, and you can have that look as well. Um, um, but, yeah, as we said, you don't have to walk up it. No. Um, uh, we'll catch a bus. Yep, that's right. <laughs> yeah. So this is where um, David and um, or comes out, comes across his um, one of the servants of Mephibosheth, and if um, if you can remember from other previous podcasts, Mephibosheth is Jonathan's son, who yes. um, is disabled in his feet, yep. um, got dropped as a kid, and um, was that you and I on a previous podcast we talked no, about it was that? Jimmy, Jimmy, was it? Okay, it was Jimmy. Um, and, yeah, so he got dropped on his feet um, well, and um, injured and became disabled and has been sitting at the Lord's t- oh, at David's table eating um, every night for I don't know how many years, a um, little while. Yep. And so his servant, Ziba, um, comes chasing after David uh, with all this food um, and loaded on two donkeys. It sounds like a lot. 200 loaves of bread. 100 clusters of raisins, 100 bunches of summer fruit and a wineskin full of wine. So um, except for the bread, the rest of it could be reasonably small. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a reasonable amount of food though, obviously. That's the point you're trying to make. They're trying to make. So It's two donkeys worth of food. food, That's a decent amount of food. Um, And he's basically offering it to, um, Zeba's offering it to David and saying this is for you and your men. 
um, mm. to eat because um, you'll get exhausted in the wilderness. And so David asked, so where's Mephibosheth? Um, he was like, well, where, where's he? And Ziba says that he stayed in Jerusalem um, saying that he will get back his um, get back the kingdom from because he's the grandson of Saul, um, the first king. And um, so we're not sure whether he's scheming, Ziba is scheming or Mephibos is scheming. Yeah. Um, this is, we'll go through it, further. It down see the it. track. It's a bit ambiguous, I think, but I tend to think it was probably Ziba that was doing the scheming and Ziba yeah. was the chief servant of Mephibosheth. Yeah. yeah. He, you know, he had, it says he had 20 sons and numbers of grands previously in the story. Yeah. I think he had a lot of his own dis- children and that. He was obviously a well-to-do servant. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I, th- I suspect he's doing it. But I, th- I don't think it's totally clear in the scripture who was telling us truth here. No. But So ultimately David believes him that um, Mephibosheth was doing the wrong and so he says to um, Ziba, I'll give you everything that Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth owns. Yeah. Um, so give him some food but then we come across this other bloke. Um, oh, Shimei. Yeah. Um, and I don't know where Bar- Barum is off the top of my head. Um um, but it says King David came to Bararum. So it has to be somewhere Sorry. between the Mount of Olives and the desert. Yeah. So it's only a matter of a few, probably one of these yeah. neighbouring suburbs, probably close to what is what is um, uh, Beth- Bethany, yeah. Bethany where Je- Lazarus was coming yeah. from. So basically this, <coughs> this other bloke comes out, Shimei, Shimei who is uh, a descendant of Saul's family, uh, who comes out against the king and... Um, Starts um, throwing stones at him. So he's sort of like on the top of the valley, um, top of the hill, throwing stones at him um, and telling David to um, get out of here, you murderer, scoundrel. Um, you're being paid back for all the, what you did to Saul's oh, clan. Ma- and you know you know me and my Monty Python skits. This makes another funny Monty Python skit. Oh. Get out of here, you stupid idiot. <laughs> Who do you think you are? I, I must admit I'm just thinking of um, the Monty Python skit where I'm um, – um, Life of Brian, where the bloke who hasn't spoken for 20-odd years, um, who's had a vow of silence, starts speaking and he's got this long, scraggly hair and he's butt naked and he's sort of screaming out to the top of his lungs. <laughs> it's a bit like that with Shimei, isn't it? <laughs> yep. um, so basically Shimei is he's not happy with it. And this is his moment. I mean, he's probably resenting the fact that Saul's kingdom was taken and this mm. is his moment to now I'm proved right, you know. Yes. That whole vindicated thing. Mm. Um <clears throat> and so Abishai, um, one of uh, David's uh, warriors, basically says, well, let me go and get this, yeah, this dog. Let me go over there and cut uh, his head off. off. Yeah. <laughs> off with his head. Um, so, but David, he sort of, he's got a sort of some grace in this. He's sort of like, well, no. Um, he says, no, who asked your opinion? Um, to his warrior. Yeah. Um, if the Lord has told him to curse me, who should you? Who are you to stop him? Mm. So he was like, well, if this is my punishment, I'm so going to take it. it. Yeah. So, and I think that's what I'm getting at in the last chapter. I think this is part of this David wrestling with this. Well, you know, I, I thought I was doing okay. I thought I repented. But Nathan did say there was going to be some consequences. Maybe yeah. this is part of it. Yeah, yeah. He sort of says further down that it was like, yeah, um, doesn't this relative of Saul have even more reason to do so than his own son who's trying to kill yeah. him? It's like, just leave him alone. Leave him alone. It'll be right. Um, yeah, God's in control of it. Um, and Shimei keeps going, um, keeping pace with them, keep, um, throwing stones. Throwing rocks at him all the way along the side of the valley. 
And if you come to Jerusalem, there's plenty of rocks. Yeah, there's plenty of rocks. There wouldn't yeah. be any shortage of gravel and rocks to get bigger. Yes. Uh, always remember one one person said, when you go to Israel and you walk down the Mount of Olives, pick up a stone, put it in your pocket and take it home. And when somebody at home asks you, what's that stone? You can um, quote the scripture back to the people. It's like, um, if the people don't call out, even one of these stones will call this out. This is one of the stones that didn't cry out. out. Yep, that's thing. right. Yeah. Yep. So you can pick up plenty of rocks. You sure can. Yeah. Um, um, and they keep going until they reach the Jordan River. Yeah. Um, so it's sort of, yeah. It's a pretty long, long hike, hike all the way to the Jordan River. Yeah. yeah. It's probably um, 20Ks, 25Ks mm. as the crow flies, and a lot of that would have been into on the foot. desert on the foot. Yep, yeah. on foot. So wouldn't have had yeah, too much time to pack up the camp and no. yeah, to run. That's for sure. Yeah. Meanwhile, yeah. while that's Meanwhile. all going on, back in Jerusalem. Yeah. Um, Absalom and the army of Israel arrive, um, accompanied by Ahithophel. Well done. Uh, you got it. Um, I might not get it later, but I've got it at the moment. Ahithophel. Um, I'm sure, sure the people who wrote this must have had a lisp at times. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but that's, yeah. Somehow we get the words out. Um, and um, David's friend, Hashai, uh, um, arrive at the same time and... Hishai goes to suck up to the king, saying, "Long live, live the king! Long live the king!" Um, and he try and he gets his way back into uh, Absalom's yeah. favor. Yeah, he says, "I've I've served whoever the I've, person that's yeah. chosen by God, so I'm going to serve you." Yep. Um, and ask for ask for advice. So it's probably a way that Absalom um, is like testing him. In one, my thoughts. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. like, well, okay, are you with Let's me? Let's see or if you've got me? some advice. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's a good call. Uh, <clears throat> um, so Hethavel, um comes up with one scheme and that's to really insult his father by because um, David left his um, ten concubines mm. um, to look after the palace. The insult was to go and sleep with the concubines mm. to show disrespect and I'm in control over... Um, which, which once is in itself is, is horrible, isn't it? Let yeah. alone the fact that, you know, at one level it's just a statement against his father, but at another level it's just complete abuse. Yeah. Complete yeah. abuse of these concubines. Yeah. Um, I just feel sorry for them. It's yeah. Like, yeah. They're victims. They're definitely victims. Um, but I did find verse 23, the last verse of this chapter, it says, uh, Absalom followed Ahithophel's advice, just as David had done, for every word Ahithophel spoke seemed as wise as though it had come directly from the mouth of God. It seems like wise words. It's like it's like speaking, um, yeah, not the almost like truth. prophetically. Yeah, that he had words of wisdom. He wasn't just a an idiot in that. No. even though it was the wrong thing. And you'll see, for he, next he had chapter, a human wisdom about yeah. him that was obviously that David respected, yeah. and now Absalom respects. That makes a lot of sense because we're going to see in the next chapter his advice is the right advice. It's just that Hushai was able to get in there and frustrate it. But, yeah, he was obviously a pretty wise man, mm. just even at, mm. a, at a natural human behavioural science kind of the, do this and this will happen mm. kind of level, basic practical wisdom. This guy had that in spades, I think. Yeah. But he made a poor choice and switched mm. sides. For We don't know anything about why he switched sides. I mean, he was obviously one of David's chief advisors, but for whatever reason – Maybe David didn't accept his advice one day and he went, that's it, I'm done. You know, I'm cooked. I'm going to switch. A bit like Abner did when he, Ishbosheth accused him of being 
Uh, we've talked about this in previous episodes. Ibrahimovic accused him of being, um, you know, disloyal, and Abner goes, "Right, that's it. I've been loyal all the way through, but you've yeah. done your dash now. I'm switching sides." So yeah. it might have been a bit of that, yeah. maybe. Or Absalon just offered him uh, more something, wealth. Yeah, yeah, something better, a better, a better office. <clears throat> yeah, that's right. Yeah. With one with a view. Yes, <laughs> could have been that. Yeah, I'll look. I'll give you a view, a little yeah. view, a, one with a view down over the Kidron Valley. Oh, Take that yes. one. Yeah, it could have been as simple as that. Mm. Yeah. Mm. The story continues. These chapters all run well, off the back of each other, don't they? I do. So we're off to chapter 17. Anything else there before that? No. no. Okay. So now to Samuel chapter 17, the next, really it's like the next um, yeah, half hour. Yes, that's right. It just continues on. Yeah. So now um, Ahithophel is asking, uh, has um, given some wisdom to Absalom after he had sex with the concubines. It's like, so um, Ahithophel says to Absalom, let me take 12,000 men and I'll chase after David right now and I will catch up to him because he's been running all day. He's tired. He's weary. His troops will, won't be... They won't be at their best. Um, no, it won't be at the best and they'll run away and I'll kill the king yep. for you and um, bring him back uh, or bring all the people back to you um, as a bride returns to her husband. Oh, that's nice poetic. Yeah, it sounds very nice. sweet for Absalom, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, after all, it's only one man's life that you seek, then you'll be at peace with all the people. So he's really, um, yeah, um, really there to say, well, yeah, I'm still going to, I want to indebt myself too, so much into Absalom that I'll be, yeah, second in charge. I'm yeah, guessing. I'm guessing so too, yeah. Mm. Certainly weaseling his way into yeah. the higher echelons of Absalom's court. Yeah, and it was because Absalom says, or it says there, the plan seemed good to Absalom and all the elders of Israel. So yep. he was, Everyone's a brilliant idea. Let's yeah. go. Let's get 12,000 men. Go for it. Yeah. Absalom says, hey, just before we do, Let's just check on Hushai the archive. What's he got to say? Yeah, see what the other advice is. <clears throat> and Hushai said, um, um, he says, well, uh, this time Ahithophel has made a mistake. He says that, you know, your mighty men, the father and his men are mighty warriors. Um, they're basically a, like a mother bear who's been robbed of a cub. So watch out. Watch out. Um, Not a good idea to take him on right now. Yeah. Um, and... David being a man of war, he'll be strategic and... Um, he'll be hiding himself in some hole somewhere. Yeah. He won't be with the troops. You won't find him, all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so basically Absalom's men will be slaughtered because of that. Um, and so he recommends that you mobilise the entire army of Israel. So take a bit of time. Take some time. Call them from north and south, east yeah. and west. Bring yeah. the whole lot. Far away is Dan in the north. We're, yep. we're planning it's to go. It's a long way from Dan to Jerusalem. Yeah. And we're going to go down to Beersheba too. Yep, yep uh, that's right. North so, to south. So in Darwin to Hobart. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a little bit quicker though. In, it's, a bit in, in bit closer than, it's a bit closer than Darwin to Hobart. That's what, it's probably more like, I don't know, Sydney to Yass or something like that maybe. <laughs> yeah, you could probably um, just try a bit further than that. Five, probably about seven hours. Yeah, from north to south, yeah, a bit yeah. further than that. Deanna yeah. Sheba. Yeah. yeah. Probably probably closer than that, actually, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, so if you come to Israel, you can do that. Yeah, we'll do that. Yeah. Um, so basically it was like, yeah, gather up all the t- um, 
all the army and then you can go after him and basically by force or the um, the massive number of people, you'll frighten everybody there to, um, yeah, to turn him over. And verse 14 says, Absalom and all the men of Israel um, said, Hushai's advice is better than Ahithophel's, for the Lord had determined to defeat the council of Ahithophel, which really was the better plan so that he could bring disaster on Absalom. So God's still in control. Absolutely. It's like the little the author's whispering in your ears going, you know what, Ahithophel's advice was really better, but just so you know, dear reader, God's going to make sure that he gets his way. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> so I, was, I love that. I was like, oh, well, yeah, I can see the logic. I often think it's, it's the grace of God that Absalom didn't ascend the throne because he would not have been a very good king. No. No, he was in it for himself. <laughs> yep. So I loved, I got written down that Hushai still served David mm. um, because he, um, yeah, thwarted the plans, but he also was like, well, um, he told the priests to pass on the the, the spies um, to um, go and tell David yep. what's going on. So basically get up and move mm-hmm. a little bit further away, cross the Jordan River, um, go into the wilderness, um, otherwise you're going to get caught. Yep. yep. So. so he gives the word. They spread the word via a couple of spies. Yeah. Priests, sons of the priests, Jonathan and Ahimaaz. And they go and spread the word, get the word to it. Well, it's a fascinating story. It's like goes to a um, servant girl who leaves the city and tells them and then the word gets spread and uh, a boy spots them. Yeah. And he says, Absalom, what's going on? And then they go hunting for him. It's like it's like cloak and dagger. Yeah. yeah. It's definitely sort of something out of the Second World War sort of movies. Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah got spreading that secret message without getting caught yeah. to the enemy. Yep, that's right. Um, so, yeah, they go and tell David and he jumps the Jordan River uh, and, um, yeah, um, keeps running. Um, but uh, like this, this is where Hephaphel uh, realises that his plans and his plan, uh, plans to be top dog sort of thing mm-hmm. is it's gone belly up. now, yep. Gone belly up, so he goes and um, kills himself. Yep, I know. Fascinating okay. that, I mean, obviously he was just in it for the for the win, and yep. when he realised he wasn't going to get the win, he went, "Well, there's no point in living now." No, or, yep. Or, well, I'll kill myself now because otherwise, I'm yeah, Absalom's going to do it. Absalom will do it, and if Absalom doesn't do it, and Dave shows up again, he's going to do it. So yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. That uh, said, David might have known David and the amount of grace he shows. He might have shown him some grace too. He so might have. It was yeah. all too too little, too late. Yeah. yeah. Towards the end of the chapter twenty seven. So. Um, um, I love it. It's like David arrives at this place called Manahine and he was greeted by um, a gentleman called Shobai, son of Nahash, who came from Rabbah of the Ammonites. So he was an Ammonite. Mm. Um, and another bloke called Mikir, son of Emil, from Lodabar, which is where um, Mephibosheth came from. Yeah, yeah, where he was sort of hiding, or not hiding, where he was living. And um, that's sort of the lowest of the low. That's the real outcast of the towns, mm-hmm. I remember yep. hearing. Uh, so they brought him actually food and mats and tents and... Um, Wheat and oh, barley and flour yeah. and roasted grain and lentils and honey and butter and sheep and goats and cheese mm. and serving bowls <laughs> and cooking pots. 
miss those. The sleeping mats. They brought the whole. They really set up so a camping camp- trip, different, yeah. didn't they? Yeah. Before they said you must all be very hungry, hungry, tired, and thirsty along your long march through the wilderness. Yeah. Which, um, it's amazing. It's like, oh, person's in need, so I'm going to yep. help. Yeah, that's what these guys do. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a good story. So we've yeah. now got David sitting in Mahanaim, uh, Absalom's. Uh, at Jerusalem conspiring against him and it's all set up for what's going to happen next. next. Who's going to take down who, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So we roll on to 28, uh, 18, sorry, chapter 18, and we'll see what happens there. Yeah. To Samuel 18, um, you're probably thinking, why are we going through this so quickly? Um, but in saying that, there's it's a story. It's, it's just a, a narrative. Story. Yeah, narrative. that's right. So it's, um, you can dig into all the towns and everything else if you want to, but um, over here it's just an overview really. It's like yeah. at the moment. Yeah, I'm not saying there isn't stuff you could dig yeah. into here. We're, we're saying there's more. But I think the story kind of, it's 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 written in such a way that it's supposed to be supposed to be chapter upon chapter. They're yeah. trying to get you to, like a good action story, mm-hmm. Just feeds quickly, and that's yeah. that's probably why we're doing it this way because it just keeps it going. Yeah. It builds on top of each builds other, on top and, of the yeah, previous yeah. section. Yeah, and as we've said in the past, it's like the book didn't have chapter and verses before. No, no, that's so right. it's um, yep. So you don't, yeah, you can read this quite quickly. It's um, yeah. Well, basically, go. all the way through from fifteen through to about uh, chapter twenty is all really one story. Mm. So six chapters. That's just in a short period of time, it's one story. Mm. Yep. So David now is, um, what's the word? He's um, annoyed, uh, basically reorganised his, um, all his troops, those that are still with him, as to who's the um, captains and who's um, mm-hmm. who's under who, working for who. Um, and he's also um, included um, Joab, um, Joab brothers, uh Abishai, son of Zariah, and um, under Ittai, who's yeah. the bloke from Gath. That's the Gath guy. Yeah. He's probably a Philistine, I'm assuming. Yeah. I have to assume he was. Mm. So, it's, yeah, not own blood sort of thing. It's like, well, I'm going to use those people that are with me and yep. Um, yep. loyal and who I know can do the job. Well, Joab, Joab so, and Abishai are blood. Yeah. And they, probably he chose them at times when he shouldn't have chosen them, but, but uh, Ittai not. But, but he's known that they've done their job. In the yeah, past, that's right. So, yeah. So they're running off to basically now go and confront Absalom um, and his troops. And David's saying, I'm going to go and you can follow me. And they turn around and say, well, no, it's, they're after you. So why don't you stay behind and we'll look after you by going out and fighting? Because um, it says um, they're only, Absalom's troops are only looking for you, but you are worth more than 10,000 of us. Mm. So they've. They see the significance of him. Yep. Um, and it was like, okay, you can control us from, or it says send, stay in the town and send help if we need it. So he's like, okay, you're the um, the commander who's sitting at the back who's coordinating things. Yes, yeah, that's a good way to put it, like a general, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So they the, the troops march out in groups of hundreds and thousands and I was like, is that literal? Would that be a literal thousands? Because it seems like um, 
I don't know how many people would have left Jerusalem. Yeah, but it true. just seems like yeah, I've got hundreds and thousands. Here, so yeah. yeah, that's true. That's a, that's a big army, isn't it? That yeah. are on his side. Yeah, more than a sprinkle of hundreds and thousands. No, that's right. <laughs> much more than a sprinkle. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. I mean, the, the hundred the term in groups of hundreds and thousands would definitely be a military term for how you would divide up your armies. I mean, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it kind of indicates there's there's in the thousands. I mean, I can oh. understand there being hundreds. Definitely, oh, but, but I've, thousands. I've just, yeah, yeah, that's well. I've just jumped down. It's um, jumped down to verse six. It says there was a great slaughter that day. Twenty thousand men laid down their lives. Mm. So, yeah, it's quite a few. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, they have to. Even though they've managed to get a lot of Israel's army together um, on Absalom's side, then there have to be a lot on David's side. Yeah. I suspect some of these weren't Israelites. So by the time he's in Mahanaim, he's actually crossed the Jordan River. He's in a territory that. Is under his control, but it's it's Ammonite territory. Yeah. So you're right with your microphone there. Yeah. Just looks like it's gone at a right different it's angle, changing angle. So yeah. So he's in Ammonite territory on that side of the river. Mm. So um, I suspect that he's got some foreigners who aren't necessarily Israelites who yeah. are on his side. Mm. So yeah, it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty decent army. It's not yeah. it's not small. You're right. Twenty thousand died. This was a pretty big civil war. Whatever, whichever <laughs> way you look at it. Mm. And but one thing the king does give to um, his troops is for the for my sake deal gently with young Absalom. Yeah, like really, <laughs> that's exactly the point. I mean, that's the point I was making about it. He, yeah. he he is vividly aware of this. It's like this is his son who's trying to kill him and hell bent on killing him, and he and he's they're going to war against Absalom's troops. And he says, oh, by the way, guys, basically he's like, don't worry about the rest of them, but just look after my son Absalom. <laughs> exactly what you said, really? Yeah. That's right. And you have to read this through that lens of David's vividly aware of his own sin that's yeah. caused this. Yeah. Um, yeah, totally. <laughs> Crazy story. Yeah, it is. Um, this is, I found this quite interesting. It's um, a battle began in the forest of Ephraim and the Israelite troops were beaten back by David's men and the battle raged across the countryside and more, den- more men died because of the forest than were killed by the sword. And I just think of um, Chronicles of Narnia <laughs> where the trees <laughs> come the tree. out. The Lord of the Rings where all the ants come and take over. Yeah, that's right. I think it's saying they didn't die because the trees attacked them. They died because they were – well, exactly what happens to Absalom. They, they're running their horses and running through the forest. They're tripping. They're catching on thickets. They're running into trees on their horses, all kinds of stuff like that. Which is pretty strange when you think of the – territory of Israel and Jordan and it's all yeah so this area it says it happens in the forest, forest began in the forest of Ephraim mm. so this has got to be the probably the Shephelah it's got to be the the lower lands doesn't it doesn't appear that this is happening on the route that he's walked yeah. I think from memory Mahanaim is further north so this is probably um could be like Syria sort of well, not that not far so north, north but, but but no, more more um, probably in the hill country of Ephraim, which is probably in what would be modern day, uh, modern day West Bank territory. So yeah, yeah. yeah sorry, sort no, of, I've got Ephraim is yeah, yeah. It's Jewish. Uh, it's so Israel north of type. Jerusalem it's in the hills, yeah. I think. So they came back across the Jordan. Came back across the Jordan. Yeah, yes, that's correct. Uh, yeah. I stand corrected for that one. Yeah. So that's another place you can come and visit when you come to Israel. Cool. <laughs> you can pretty much read everything we're talking about today. You can go there. The next section where Absalom gets um, caught because he ran past a tree and his hair got caught in the branches. Yeah. It's like 
This is really like a Monty Python. Series. It is. <laughs> he's riding his like he's on his mule. Help me, help me, help me. And then he just gets stuck in the tree and his head gets stuck in the branches. Yes, exactly. Um, and I must admit, I, I, I look at, I would think that if I was the king, I'd be riding a horse, steed, a stallion, a not massive a mule. thing. It's but weird, isn't not it? Not a mule. Yeah. But I know that over in, uh, probably in that era and stuff, the mule was, um, you had your donkeys and mules. You probably didn't have the horses. No, it's true. Maybe so. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, he gets his hair caught in the tree and he's left dangling in the air. So it's a real... Which is ironic because the big deal about um, about Absalom was his hair. He had yes. this really long flowing hair and all that sort of stuff. And it, in the end, his, it's his, downfall. his downfall, his glory, the thing that made him so respected became his downfall. I think there's supposed to be a pun in that, whether or not it actually happened. But certainly the author wants you to make a point of, you know, his own, the thing he trusted in the most became his downfall. Heaven forbid that we become like that. Yes. And this is, um, this next section is... Um, I sort of struggle to read because it's like Joab, um, uh, the he, some of David's men see him dangling in the tree, so they go into Joab and say, "Oh, there he is." Yeah. And Joab says, "Well, why didn't you kill him?" But and they go, "You serious? We all heard the king say, don't kill him.'" He says, "If I kill him, I'm, it's going to be on my head. Not a chance. I'm going to kill him." Yeah. Yeah. And it does say that. Um. Yeah. It's um. Well, uh, if. If they, you're not going to back me anyway. So if I do kill him, don't, yeah, Joab, you're not going to yeah, back me. Yeah, you'll just turn me down. Yeah. yeah, you'll probably kill me in that place. So, um, Joab goes goes and actually throws three, th- puts three daggers um, and plunge him into his Absalom's heart as he dangles, but he's still alive. It's like, can't you have got three three daggers? Uh I assumed he yeah. was still alive, hanging in the tree, and the three daggers killed him. Is that? Oh no! Because oh, then, then it goes on, and they drag him down and kill him. Yeah, yeah. Um, an armor bearer, and yeah, and yeah. I think three daggers in the heart would kill you pretty quickly, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah so there's a little bit in this that doesn't quite. Whether or not it's just a bit of poetic license to kind of finish make off the story, make it interesting, make it. I think there's yeah. probably a bit of that in there. Yeah. The author's wanting you to, you know, we've come to this crescendo moment. Absalom's caught in the tree. And they just kind of play it out and extended this part out now. But then they, another thing, when Samuel dies, they just say, Samuel Tell died. Samuel died, now move on. <laughs> That's right. So that makes me think this is part of the part of the literary um, technique they're using. Yeah. As, you, as you read, if you sit down and read 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, all in one go, just look at it from a script writing perspective. I think they're trying to get you to, to get in yourself in the story. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> so he's dead. And Joe blows the horn and says, fight's over, everybody go home. And they do. Yeah, they do. Yeah, that's right. Um, all these men, all these, um, yeah, all the men of Israel return from chasing his, oh, sorry, all the, all of Joe's men stop chasing the army of Israel and go home. Yep. And I, I think if you're yep. one of the armies of Israel who's switched sides and I'm here that Absalom's dead, I'm going to be hightailing out of there real quick. Yeah. I, don't want, I, I was never there that day, Lord. Yeah. When David comes back to the throne, oh, what are you talking about? I wasn't there. Mm. No, no, I, I didn't. I didn't uh, fight against you, Dave. Nah. <laughs> no, that's right. So they were out of there. It's a bit like, quick, the police are coming. Let's get out of here quickly before anyone sees us. I think it's a bit like that. Uh, um, but another plug for Israel is like in verse 18, it says, During his lifetime, Absalom had built a monument to himself yeah. in the King's Valley, for he said, I've no son to carry on my name. He named the monument after himself and it's known as Absalom's Monument to this day. There is a monument in um, in the Kidron Valley that is called Absalom's 
tomb or Absalom's monument. monument. Yep. Um, so that's another place we'll go and visit. Yes, but spoiler alert, it's not Absalom's monument. <laughs> no. In fact, it was built many, many thousand years after, after this. That's pretty for impressive. A long, it's pretty impressive. It's yes. a carved, it's carved rock tomb. Yeah. yeah. Carved but straight into the rock. Yep. Um, it is. It's, it's pretty impressive. But yeah, I think for a long time they thought it was, but now they know it's, no, it's not yeah. that at all. For a thousand years after this, after mm. the time of Christ, I think it's 200, 300 BC, 300 AD or something. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> so Absalom's dead. Um, and when um, this one's also sort of th- thrown me a little bit, is um, these two guys want to go and um, go and tell King David. And one is um, Zadok's son, so he's the king's other uh, priest. So he's one of the, of the two dudes that came and yeah. spread, spread, sent the message out yeah. of Jerusalem so in the first the, place. Like the spies, spies, one, yep. one of the spies. It was like, let me come tell the good news to the king. Um, that the Lord is rescuing from his enemies, and Job says, um, "No, it's not. It's not good news for the king." No. Um, and so, yeah, no, it's not going to be you. Job's thinking, "I'm not sending you, dude, because uh, the king's not going to be happy about this." So he sends an, another man who's an Ethiopian, so it's not a not one of the tribes no. to go and tell the king what they've seen. Um, and but the him as the him as him as. Um, basically, why, um, what's, um, please let me go, please let me go, please let me go. Keeps going until he wears him down. Yep, exactly. Job says, fine, go. Um, so now you've got two runners heading to Mahanaim to find Dave. Um, and David's sitting there watching, waiting and waiting for the news and, um, somebody sees that this one person's running and, um, who comes and then, or sees basically, see end up seeing the two runners coming at different times. So one's ahead of the other. Um, and the first man who arrives to see David is uh, Himas, son, the the spy. And he says the good news, and everything's all right. Um, the Lord has handed over your rebel sister um, to handle. Lord has handed over the rebels who dared to stand against you. And so King asks, what's about Absalom? Is he all right? And, and he goes, um, and I, have you asked the guy? He's just yeah. coming up here. He, he knows about that. <laughs> it's like, oh, I was told to leave before I know, yeah, knew exactly. the answer, which was a lie. Which was a lie. He knew the answer, but he realizes, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. this maybe I thought I was bringing good news here. Maybe, maybe I'll just keep my mouth shut. Yeah. Maybe I should listen to Job in the first place. So he turns around and says, this guy, this Ethiopian, he's just, I beat I yeah. beat him, but he's on the way. Mm. Yeah. But the Ethiopian comes and says, no, he's, uh, Absalom is dead. Yeah. He uh, actually says it this way. What does he say? He says, may all of your enemies, my Lord, the King, both now and in the future, share the fate of that young man. Yeah. Very po- polite way to say your son is dead, isn't it? Yeah. But it's really, it's sad because the King was overcome with emotion and he went inside and cried and cried and cried and weep for his son Absalom, even though Absalom tried to thwart him and kill him. Yep. Um, and if I only I had died instead of you, oh, my Absalom, my son, my son. And it's this statement more than anything that gives me this narrative that I've been sharing throughout this podcast is that David is vividly aware of his own sin. Yeah. He's saying, this is my fault. Man, if I had died instead of you. So I, I think that's that's the heartbeat of yeah. David's pain right here. The the flow on effect. I talked about this with Jimmy. 
God repent, God will forgive us of our sins, but it doesn't mean that we don't live with the consequences of those sins yeah. for the rest of our lives sometimes. Mm. Our poor choices have flow-on effects in other people's lives, and David knew that. And so we should. We should be aware that, that um, God may forgive us, but that doesn't mean there's no guarantee that our poor choices won't flow on and affect our family or our church or our, you know, you know, I'm vividly aware of that as a minister of religion. Mm. You know, my, my poor choices don't just affect me. They affect my family. They affect the people in my church. I've got to be so aware of that. David, David was aware of that and that's mm. why he grieves so strongly. Yeah. You can hear that in him. Yeah. This pain is right. deep. Mm. Uh, and you, you'll see in the next chapter we get to, the story continues, but it's like he's become so obsessed with this that, Job will say, you're at risk of losing all your own army because you're so obsessed with your enemy. Yeah. Yeah. So we should carry on with the story? We do. So this, this um, that verse actually can, in some manuscripts, actually have it listed in the next chapter. Okay. So it so sort of flows on into the next chapter. chapter. It yeah. sort of says, well, yeah, like beginning of the next chapter. Yep. This is... Yeah, so it's some manuscripts don't have this as in chapter 18. It's like the beginning so, so of chapter 19. Yeah, more proof that this story is just one, one story. Yeah. yeah, okay. Well, for now, it's in this version. It's in, uh, it's in chapter 18. So we'll go on to chapter 19, 19. and the story continues. Samuel chapter 19. Um, this is after, yeah, Absalom's dead and David hears about it and he goes and cries and cries. Still cries. Yep. Um, and the word reached Joab that the king was weeping and He was mourning. still crying. <laughs> still crying. And all the people heard of the king's deep grief for his son and the joy of the day's victory was turned into deep sadness. And... So um, what they had gone out there to achieve was achieved, but... Instead of being victory, it seemed like, oh, they heard the king's upset. So they all creep back into town. Um, Sort of one, I must say, I don't know the... haven't looked into it greatly, but I'm just sort of... These guys are probably thinking if they were Vietnam vets when they came back to Australia. Yeah, um, instead of coming back in victory, they're coming back, back, yeah, creeping back in as almost with shame. Yeah. But all they were melt to feel, feel shamed. Yes, not from because they did heroic. Not because they're anything they're done, yeah. but that's but, yeah, yeah. yeah um, that's a good exa- analogy for what's going on here. Uh, they had won the victory. I mean, in the well, Vietnam War, they didn't, didn't win the victory, but here they won the victory. But because the king they were fighting for was more obsessed with the death of his son, his enemy, like uh, disrespect and yeah, they, like, they, they felt like well, what? What have we done? Yeah, why, did, why did we do it? Yep, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but thankfully, Job went back, went to the king, and said, um, "Yeah, we know you're you're weeping for your son, but you've made us all feel ashamed, mm. and you are losing your kingdom because of this." Yeah, um, um, we saved your life today, and the lives of your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your concubines, and you act like this, making us feel ashamed. You seem to love those who hate you and hate those who love you. You've made it clear made it clear today that your commanders and the troops, all of us, we mean nothing to you. It seems that if Absalom had lived and all of us had died, you would have been pleased. I mean, that's a pretty pretty damning, um, you know, statement but, to say against the king, isn't it? Yeah. Now, yeah. now get out there and congratulate your troops. If you don't, there's just not going to be any left by morning. They're going to yeah. be better gut full of you, Dave. Yeah. You've got to get on with it. Yeah. So he really does, I mean, 
David and Joab, you've got to remember, he's not perfect in this story. No. I mean, he's not perfect anywhere in the story. Uh, he's the one who killed him and defied the king's orders. But that said, he's still um, is still very much of this point of, um, you know, he is really telling David off for his own selfishness. So after that rebuke, the king went out and basically sat at the town gate, and um, so the word went through, went everywhere that um, yeah, King David was back. Yeah. Um, but all the Israelites who supported Absalom, they all returned their home with their um, tails between their legs. And then there was much discussion, like, what do we do now? And some of the people who said, I'm probably saying, yes, the king, king David rescued us from the Philistines and did all this thing and Absalom chased him out of the country. So, um, yeah, do we ask David to come back? Do we not? Do we find somebody else? But ultimately they asked David to come back. Yep. And so he does. Yep. Um, and... I like it. It's like the king started to return to Jerusalem. When he arrived at the Jordan River, the people of Judah came to Gilgal to meet him, escort him across the river. So his own tribe. His own tribe, yep. Came out. Uh, the ones that he had ruled over for seven and a half years before he ruled over all of Israel. Yeah. Yep. And then oh, it says Shimei came out as well. Oh, here he is again. Well. Shimei's back. Yeah, he hurried across with the men. Oh, of course he did. Judah to welcome King David. Last time we saw Shimei, he was throwing rocks and yeah. carrying on. Yeah. Um, as well as a thousand other men from the tribe of Benjamin mm. with him, including Ziba, the chief servant of the house of Saul. Mm. So um, this is where it says he's got 15 sons and 20 servants. That's where it says it, yep. Yeah. So they all rushed down to help help the king return. So they're all knowing which side of the which side is their bread butter. <laughs> yes, exactly what it is, yep. It's like they're now playing both sides of the equation, yeah. aren't they? Yeah. And um, Sh- Shimei actually comes up to King David and falls before him and says, forgive me, forgive, uh, forget the terrible things your servant did when you left Jerusalem. May the king put it out of your out of his mind. I know how much I sinned. That is why I've come here today, the very first person in all Israel, to greet my lord, the king. So whether that was a, I need to save my bacon yep. or he recognised his, um, yeah, he recognised his sin. Yeah, um, I suspect that he didn't. No. My, you know, it's not written in the text, doesn't tell you, but I suspect... He's thinking, I'm a dead man. There's probably nowhere I can go to get away from this guy. Mm. Dave's going to hunt me down wherever after the way I treated him. My best chance is to go and throw myself at his mercy. Yeah. So that's what he's doing. But he doesn't sort of say, oh, have mercy on me, sort of like. Um, Just please forgive me. Forgive me, but it was like, you know, like I'm pleading mercies, like don't kill me, sort of. Yes, yeah. yes. It's like, yeah, I guess so. I, I, yeah, I guess yeah. I, I'm thinking it's sort of still asking. He, maybe he doesn't know, but he's he's asking for f- for forgiveness and and uh, that he doesn't get held against held against yeah. him for the way he treated him. Yeah, yeah. So he, yeah, he's he's groveling, but it's um, I don't know. I read into like not quite as groveling as like yeah, um, yeah. Don't kill me, don't kill me, no. sort of thing. Um, always, what's the word? He's um, yeah, a man of yeah gift. He got the gift of the gab to. Word it better. totally. Yep. Yeah. And actually, interesting. Just prior to the story, there's another little interesting tidbit that we skipped over there. When the men of Judah came back, um, David's now wheeling and dealing against Joab. He says the king said to Zoab, Zoab, Zadok and Abiathar the priests, say to the elders of Judah, why are you guys the last ones to bring me back into my palace? Because remember, because mm-hmm. Absalom was had taken all the Ju- tribe of Judah with him. Yep. I've heard that Israel's all ready to do it. What about you guys? You're my own flesh and blood. Why are you the last ones to bring me back? And David told them to tell Amasa, who had been the king, uh, who'd been the the uh, probably the commander of Absalom's Joe. army, one would assume, 
since you're my own flesh and blood, you're on my side, how about I give you the rule of Joab and you can now become my commander-in-chief. Mm. And so there's a little bit of political wheeling and dealing going on here to get them on side. Uh, Suffice to say, folks, we'll see it later on at some point in the story, uh, Joab doesn't like this very much. And Joab ends up killing Amasa pretty much the same way he killed Abner. Yeah. He's very, very jealous for that position as the chief of um, the chief of the defense force, isn't he? Yeah, Yeah, for Mm. sure. Sorry, didn't mean to skip over that part, but yeah. No, that's right. I just thought I'd point that out. Yeah, it was. uh, There's a bit of, yeah, wheeling and dealing happening. Yeah. And so um, Shimei, um, yeah, um, was yeah, pleading for his mercy sort of um, things and um, Abishai says, well, why don't we just kill him because um, he cursed the god, yeah. cook, cursed the king, yep. so let's get rid of him. Which is exactly what he said when he was on the side oh, of the hill. Yeah. yeah. And um, David sort of says, no, this isn't a day for execution. Um, um, I'm returning once again as king of Israel no, we'll spare your life. Mm. So it's um, yeah, grace. It's like he yeah, knows that what David's gone through yep. um, and all the – what he's caused. And it's like, yeah, no, Shimei needs needs some grace. Needs some grace. And, and he shows several yeah. acts of kindness when he comes back as king, doesn't he? Yeah. Because um, he quite easily just – yeah. Off with all this. All, oh, all totally. The totally. Of those that were against And me. you'll hear many, many years later – Shimei will come back on the scene again when David gives his charge to his son Solomon. He says, you remember Shimei? Yeah. He said, you know, I let him off that day, but be like the godfather. I let him off that day, but, you know, he's not really innocent, so you'll know what to do. Yeah. And so he does die under Solomon's reign, but he lives for a long time afterwards. Yeah, forgot about that one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Mephibosheth comes out and he comes down to, the, um, to greet the king. He hasn't looked after himself. He sort of said, okay, with my king gone, I'm not going to yeah, bathe or wash clothes or anything mm. like that. So he probably stunk yeah. for a bit. Yep. Um, he was but in mourning. it was a morning and sort of saying, well, yeah, no, my mm. king's not here. I'm yeah, going to right. weep for him. And he um, s- explains to David that um, Zeba deceived him and refused and didn't want me to come with him. So it was like, well, okay, David, it's, it's up to you. What do you want to do? I could expect death from you. Um, David, but instead you've honoured me by allowing me to eat at your table. That's enough. And so David who's David basically says, okay, well, look, you guys can split the inheritance between yeah. you. Yeah. And uh, Mephibosheth says, I'm not interested in the inheritance. I just want you, Lord. That's what makes me think Mephibosheth was probably the innocent one here and Zebo yeah. just saw this as an opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can, yeah, um, I just love how David was like, yeah, I'm not going to get in, involved with the I'm politics. not going to get involved in the internal politics. You guys can sort that uh, out between you. Yeah. That's right. Exactly. Um, and it's just simple. It's like, well, yeah, okay, if you, like, if one wanted it and the other one, if they both wanted it, well, you can have half each. It's like, it sounds like a real parent. It does. It's like, you go sort it out between you. You can have half each, you go and sort it out. I'm not getting involved. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Um, the other... Another act of kindness is Basilei from Gilead um, to escort the king. He was very old, but he was one of the guys who'd provided him with all the food from Manahain. Um And David was like, you've blessed me. You looked after me. Come over, live in Jerusalem, and I'll look after you. And he says, I'm 80 years old. I can't enjoy my food, anything. can't enjoy my wine. I can't even hear anything. I can't smell, so... What's the point? point. <laughs> Let me just go home and die with my where my where yeah, I live. Yeah, and 
but he does say, so let my son come. Yeah, that's Being right. my place. Yep. And David says, yep, your son can come and I will. he can do whatever he likes. Yep. Um, I will do for him anything you want. So David blessed Barzilla, kissed him and let him return home. And Kimai, the son, um, oh, no, sorry, I was thinking um, that Kimai became one of the troops, but no, he didn't. No, he uh, just had a place at the table. Yep. Yeah. So the next part says, but all the men of Israel complained to the king. The men of Judah stole the king and didn't give us the honour of helping take you, your household, and all your men across the Jordan. It was like, well, what about us? Yeah. I'm the poor distant cousin. That's exactly what it feels like, doesn't it? So there was a big argument came out over that one. Um, There's a lot of stirring, a lot of simmering resentment around this whole Judah versus the rest of them. Yeah. Thing. Um, and it, it obviously ultimately played in the divided kingdom, you know, in a couple of generations time after this. But at this point, it's uh, it's still there, even from David's time um, when he would sweet talking the, the his own tribe and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, there's definitely some stuff going on there. Mm. Mm. And every time there's a crisis, it's, it comes to the surface, and the Israelites are now going. The rest of the Israelites, other than the tribe of Judah, are all going. Well, you know, we don't mm. we don't have any share in him. We do. We're supposed yeah. to have ten tri- ten shares. We've got ten tribes, but you won't let us. Yeah, yeah. So what makes you more special? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> I must admit, it was like just an interesting thing. Is like the men of Judah replied to this accusation. Is like, well, you didn't let us help. It's like, well, um, the king is one of our own kinsmen, so it's like a part of the family. Why, why are you getting upset? We haven't eaten any of the king's food or received any special favors. It's like. What's food got to do with their fighting over it? It's like I'm just coming up with this random thoughts. It's like, yeah, this is this is a good example of how things escalate really quickly. So if you think about this as these are all character studies, this is this reminds me of the story in Joshua of how he negotiates with the uh, you know they have to bring peace when the tribes the eastern tribes are rebel you know are going to go back and oh. set up a monument. It's very similar how quickly things can escalate where there's misunderstanding and misrepresentation, and that's what we're seeing here. Mm. It's like they, they just said, well, how come we, we wanted to bring him, the, the Israelites say, we want to bring him back first. And then the Jude, Judites were slow and then they jumped in there after David invited them and they took the whole thing for themselves and the rest of Israel are going, that's not fair. And then they go, what do you mean it's not fair? And it's mm. just escalating. Yeah. And I think that happens in, in relationships so often. It gets out of hand and you end up fighting about stuff you weren't really even arguing about in the first place. So there's definitely lessons for us in this because mm. it's just – this escalates into basically another civil war. Yeah. It's not going to be quite as substantial as Absalom's rebellion, but it's this other this other guy. was his name? Sheba. He's going to lead a revolt now from mm. the northern kingdom. The rest of Israel is going to revolt yeah. against him. Mm. So that's happening in the next chapter. Yeah. Are we going to the next chapter? Mm. 15, 16, 17, 18? No, no, I don't think we're going to go to the next chapter. So we'll have no. to hang tight for that one. Yes. But there's another revolt that takes place at the end of this. So we're here going to head into the New Testament. Is there anything else you needed to add there? No. No, that's just the final thing is the argument continued back and forth. Yes, and that's forth. right. Back and forth. Yep, no. exactly. Heaven no. forbid that we fall for that. Mm. All right, let's head to the New Testament. Testament. Yes. Okay, New Testament, jumping across to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Um, amazing little story um, or little book, letter. Uh, yeah, written late in Paul's life. life. Yeah. 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 Probably one of his last letters that he wrote, I suspect. 
So we just sort of quickly Googled where where was Two Tombsy written and it's not really known exactly where it is, but they sort of assume that he's in the area of Ephesus. Yeah, so uh, in the first Timothy we know he was in Ephesus. Paul yeah. says, I left you in Ephesus to do certain things with the church, keep it, keep it in line. And so there's an assumption that he's probably still there or nearby. Yeah. And so just the towards the end of chapter two, it uh, like basically is like stop having arguments with foolish people and, um, yeah, you mustn't quarrel with everybody and um, be patient and gently instruct people with the truth, um, which then leads into, um, yeah, or how do we – how do we – How do we instruct we people to? in the truth? Who should we listen to? Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, exactly. And it's like in the last days there will be diffi- very difficult times and – Thinking if um, yeah, Paul had difficult times, um, and he's calling it these are the last days, yeah. um, and we're still in the last days. So. so there's still a promise of difficult times. Yeah. Mm. Well, well, how often do you see people um, will love themselves and love money? Yep, that's uh, right. He says people will love lovers of themselves and lovers of money, um, boastful, proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful. Consider nothing sacred, love unloving, unforgiving, slandering others, no self-control, cruel, hate what is good, betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, love pleasure rather than God. They act religious, but they reject the power that made them godly. Stay away from people like that. <laughs> it's a pretty damning problem, isn't it? And he's talking yeah. about people who are claiming to be in the church, church here. Yeah. yeah. This isn't the world out oh, those people out there. This is, these are people who infiltrate the church. Yeah. It's a sobering thought. Sorry, I'm just sort of my, my my I've got a picture in my mind is like come Sunday at church and um yeah, Rowan standing up at the pulpit and saying, "You guys are lover from the cells, <laughs> only a boastful crowd, scoffing at God, disobedient sods." <laughs> <laughs> well, to some degree, we all are, but uh, yeah. that's what the grace of God's all yeah. about. Um, the problem was these guys were these guys or ladies or men or whatever. Uh, it says it goes on. It says they are the kind who work their way into people's homes and win on the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened by the guilt. So there's some. These are malicious, narcissistic yep. people who've weaselled their way into the church and uh, and tried probably tried to do what a Heath fella done and to you know <laughs> Absalom tried to weasel their way in and, and win people over and and uh, it was obviously happening in Ephesus and and it was well, there was some pretty bad stuff happening there in the first in the first book of 1st Timothy. So I think that's probably what's going on here. And, and Paul is trying to urge Timothy, you got to watch for that. Yeah. Just don't accept everything everyone says. Mm. Uh, the people who have been in the church, you, yeah, if you've been in there long enough, you will have come across people who, yeah, come in and try to talk the talk and try and take sides and mm-hmm. to get people to come and join my side, yep. um, which is uh, it's, it's sad. Which is actually, it's he goes on in verse 8, he says, these teachers oppose the truth just as Jonas and Jambres did in the desert with Moses. So these are people who, exactly what they did, if you don't know that story, they uh, these were the guys that complained against Moses and Aaron and said, oh, we just got just as much right to worship in the temple. Worship, do whatever temple. we want as you guys have. Who do you think you are? And they won a whole lot of people to their side through this kind of conniving and and uh, almost like an Absalom spirit, what Absalom yeah. did and then what Ab- Heathel did with Absalom. And uh, and in the end, they were the ground swallowed them up. Earthquake came and swallowed them up, and they all died. And um, I think that's what Paul's trying to say. This is this is dangerous. <laughs> it's kind of div- divisive uh, talk in the church. Yeah. 
But there's a bit of promise. It's not um, that in verse 9 it says, but they won't get away with this for long. Someday everyone will recognise what fools they are. Yeah, so sooner or later they'll, the, the earth will swallow them figuratively yeah. speaking. Yeah. Yep, it'll all come yeah. out in the wash sometime. And it does. Um, it has, and I've seen yeah. that in my life, yeah. Yeah. Um, unfortunately yeah. it's like, yeah, people recognise it, but then there's the aftermath of, mm. yeah, they come in like a whirlwind and, yeah. Blow in, blow up and blow out yeah. and cause problems in the process, yeah. Mm. Yeah, so Paul's trying to tell Timothy to try and avoid that happening. Be aware that's what could happen in the church, but I'm charging you to not do that. Yeah, definitely because he says, certainly know to Timothy what I teach, how I live, and what purpose in life, what my purpose in life is. So I was like, you've seen me, model me, um, follow what I've done. Mm. Um, You know my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, how much persecution and suffering I, I have endured. You all know um, everything that's happened to me, but the Lord has rescued me from all of it. It's like, oh, yeah, follow me. Um, it's a real follow Jesus. You know what's going on. So, yeah, stand stand up in one sense. Like, Yeah, and yeah. I, what I love here is that Paul's charging Timothy to do this, but if I'm Timothy, I'm going, well, how do I know? How do I know who the deceptive people are? How do I know which ones they yeah. are? You know, as a leader, I can, I can see people doing things in church life, and I think... Oh, I don't really know what their motives are. It looks a bit dodgy, but maybe they're just naive, or mm. maybe they. I don't want to. I don't want to assume that everybody that's drawing people to themselves is um, has a, has a tendency to try to usurp authority. That that's a very cynical way to live life. Mm. So I, I get this fully understand where Timothy would be feeling like. Well, what's the what's the benchmark here to know whether or not someone is mm. a deceiver or whether they're just you know just a friendly person, mm. you know that kind of thing. Yeah. How long do I let it go on? How long do I let it go on? Yeah, we, yeah. yeah. I don't want to just come in. I don't want to be a controlling leader who comes in and jumps on everything because I, and I get that tension as a leader. I'm trying to protect people, but I also want to give people space to grow and don't expect everyone to agree with everything I say. It's it's mm. a tension in church mm. life. Yeah, mm. anyone who leads a team or leads anything, even in the workplace, if you're in any kind of leadership position, you'll understand this tension. <clears throat> uh, especially unless you're a narcissist, you won't you won't understand it. You'll just assume you're right. But most of us will understand that tension between not wanting to go too strong but also not wanting to go too soft unless that person is going to cause damage or, or change mm. the culture or become toxic in the culture. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing you can do is remain faithful to the things you've been taught. Ah, uh, yes. So this is where study, um, um, read the scriptures, um, listen to godly people, listen mm. to, um, yeah, good resources. Um, good point. Um, you know they are true, so remain Remember the faithful things you've been taught. Know that they are true. You know that you can trust those who taught you. So having those people that you look up to, um, you've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. They've given you wisdom to receive salvation. So Scriptures have shown who Jesus is, why he came, why he died, um, rose again. Um, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true to make us realise what is wrong in our lives, that's a sobering thought. Like, yes. Yeah. The scripture does four things, things. it says, doesn't it? You've yeah. read two of them so far. Keep reading. Yeah. And it corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do us right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So no. 2 Timothy 3.16 is like another three. There's a few 3.16s in the Bible. John 3.16, 1 John 3.16, 2 Timothy 3.16. Mm. Yes, and this is a good one because... It's like Paul's giving the antidote. Uh, he says to Paul, how do I know? Paul says, well, you know because you know the word of God. Let, yeah. 
let that be your benchmark to know mm. what's right and what's wrong mm. in life when you're leading people. Mm. And then he's going to say these four things about the scripture and and uh, see if you can remember what Chuck Missy used to say about these four things. 2 Timothy 3, 16 there. there there's, there's two categories of four things that he lists there that he says about the word of God. Can you see them? Can you remember what they are? Not really. Okay, no. so if you look at the category, read, we'll read it again. It says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us what to do. And and depending on the different versions, you'll essentially get there are two groups of two. It's about what you believe and how you behave. So scripture is basically saying it teaches us what's right to believe. It teaches us what's wrong to believe. It teaches us what's right to behave, the right way to behave, and it teaches us the wrong way to behave. It corrects us in the wrong yeah. way. So it's about right believing, wrong believing, right behavior, and wrong behavior. And so if you recognize that when you come to the Word of God, when you come to these podcasts, that is, in a nutshell, what Scripture is doing inside mm. of us. Mm. It's showing us the right things to believe. It's re- correcting us on the wrong things to believe. It's showing us the right way to behave, and it's it's correcting us and rebuking us, challenging us when we behave wrongly. Mm. I love that yeah. little snippet it right is, there. It is. It is. It also reminds me of the um, in Acts when um, Paul goes to Berea, Bereans, mm. and the Bereans... Acts listen 17 to what, verse 11. Read what he says or listen to what Paul said and then um, went back to the scriptures to um, not disprove him but to prove, um, him, prove, prove, prove him right. right. Yep, that's say, right. Oh well, oh, well, he is actually preaching the truth. Yep, so, that's right. Okay, I better believe it. I yeah, exactly. It. I better follow it. Good call. Yeah. And that's that whole leaning into scripture going, I, this is going to be good for me. I'm going to lean, I'm going to lean into the preaching when I hear it on a Sunday, when I listen to a podcast. I, want, I don't want to just... I want to be mindful that I'm not going to – I don't want to just uh, take everything on board because there's a lot of stuff out there on the internet, folks, that is trash. There's a lot of stuff out there that is deceptive and it's false teaching. So, But but Paul wouldn't say dismiss everything. He'd say lean in going, I want to believe this, mm. but run it through the filter like he's saying to Timothy. Run it through the filter of what you've been taught. Mm. And if you haven't been taught enough, that's why podcasts like this are good, you mm. know. Get into the Word of God. Learn how to study it for yourself so that it becomes a healthy filter for you mm. to – uh, and in those areas of belief, wrong belief, right belief, wrong behavior, right behavior. Find those, find, yeah. Um, what's, I was just thinking, find those those nuggets in the in, in the scripture, but also like from the people who have been teaching or the what you've been reading is yep. like search and spit out the spit out the, the meat, spit uh, out the bones. bones. Yeah. Yeah, and he Eat said that to Timothy. He goes, "You see me, you've seen him me." And he says in Philippians, "Whatever you've seen in me." Put it into practice. So, yeah, there's definitely that sense of we can learn from those who've gone before mm. us as well. Mm. Yeah. So that's why I love it says all Scripture is inspired by God. Yep. Um, so the Old Testament. Even every- the bits in Deuteronomy about infectious skin diseases and bodily fluids. Yeah. It's all inspired by God, folks. Yeah. And there's, yeah, all things in there that you can find Yeah, where God is weaving through it out, yep. through it all. So, yeah, that's why I love all Scripture. I don't. Throw any bits out. That's right. Um, You're a good student of the uh, word, Phil. As um, there's even the scripture now. I can't remember. It's in some, um, where it's even the word shall not pass away. No jot or not tittle. No yeah. sort of like it's like within the d- crossing the t's and dotting the i's that everything is inspired by, by the Lord. God, and God is in the midst of all that. Yeah, in, that's right. And the Jewish scholars sort of would say even within the spaces within the letters. Yeah. They God read the scripture. The Jewish scholars read it like it's all inspired by God. I want to get every every drop out of it. Mm. Yeah. So if you really want to get deep into it, listen to a Jewish um, rabbi 
and he'll not just bring out one point, but he'll go into the multiple 20, levels. Multiple of levels. Yes. yes. So they sure do, the Jewish rabbis. Yeah. So All right. Well, that's Second Timothy three. three, and we're going to move on to Second Timothy four. Yep. Timothy chapter 4, the last chapter of probably um, Paul's life. This is probably I'd say it's the last recorded where, chapter, I think you'd find. Yeah, it seems like this is where he's yeah, reflecting on his life and, um, yeah, and where he's been and where he, what he's come through, um, through all these persecutions and um, to stand firm. To, he's, like, he's run the race. Yep. Um, um, and he solemnly urges in the presence of God who will someday judge the living and the dead. It's like it's like this is my um, sort of I'm going to say like last will and testament, like this is my solemn promise, um, like it's making a profound statement. Yes, for him it's like this judgment day is coming closer yeah. and he's aware of that yeah. and he's reflecting back on his life yeah. and going this is what really matters. Mm. Preach yeah. the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favourable or not. Um, patiently correct, rebuke. Encourage your people with good teaching. Uh, it's like being prepared in season, out of season. Mm. Another um, version. Yep. Peter says that. Yep. Um, when the time is favourable or not. Um, but I do like it. it says patiently correct, rebuke, encourage your people with good teaching. So it's not um, patiently correct, rebuke. It's not um, coming out with the hellfire and brimstone. Yeah. Um, you filthy sinners pointing yeah. the finger sort of. Um, action. You know, for me as a, as a leader, I find the rebuking the hardest part. Mm. I'm not naturally wired to rebuke, and but there is, I understand that there is a time when when a leader needs to rebuke, not just for the sake of others, but for the sake of that person as well. Um, but it, it's coming from this sense of encouragement, isn't it? Like, yeah. I want the best for you. I yeah. want the best for the church. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And he's encouraging them to have that good teaching. That's the yeah. big thing here. That's why I'm passionate as a Bible teacher. That's why I'm passionate about this. I know you're a Bible, you know, passionate Bible student because good teaching is what will hold you in good stead when everything else is left. That's what Paul said in the previous chapter. When everything is left, we want to know what to do. Come back to God's word. Come back to the teaching of the word of God. It will hold you. It's wholesome. Uh, It it is. Um, Because I must when I look at over my life, it's like, well, over time, I've just worked. I've come to know that God is faithful, despite what's going on. He yep. will bring it to fruition. That's yeah. Even though, despite what's going on, I know that God's faithful. He's going to work it all out because I've seen it time and time Amen. and time again. Amen. Phil. So that's where it's like, um, I should um, don't be afraid of. Oh, it says here, but keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news. Fully carry out the ministry God has given you. It's like keep putting your foot forward. God will keep going, even though you have been rebuked and told to, yeah, pull your head in because you're out of line or whatever. It's like okay, pull my head in, get back into line, keep doing the job. Yep. Um, God's given me a job to do. I need to. I need to do it. Stay the course. Yeah. Yep. Um, and. Next one is like, as for Paul says, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. He's lived his life as yep. an offering to God. Yep. My time of death is near. I've fought the good fight. 
finished the race, I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. The prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. That's like, that's an amazing What a promise. promise. Yeah. Isn't it? Mm. And he's saying those who will just, that eagerly looking forward thing is not, not trying to figure out when it is, but just being ready and living your life on mission, on purpose, which is what Paul said. Mm. What did, he said, you know, I fought the fight. I finished the race. I mean, the call Paul is giving to Timothy and to all of us here, all who look forward to his appearing is just stay at it, folks. There's going to be hard times, like you said, Phil. It's, it, there's going to be challenges mm. in life. But I think there's a prize for just turning up. Just mm. stay in the game. As you said, I said, it's not trying to figure out when is God coming back. And I love um, Chuck Missler sort of said, um, okay, if God's given you a date, if it, in theory, if God had actually given you a date, would you sit on your butt mm. waiting for him to return or would you get out and finish the job? Yeah. Uh, and it's like, well, well, we don't know when God's going to come back. But if we did, we we'd just cut corners wherever we could because yeah. it's human nature. Then Paul would say, no, no, just, just stay. stay on mission. Yeah. Stay serving. And we're talking about volunteering this week and as in the podcast in our church. We're talking about getting involved in the house of God, living for something bigger than yourself, serving the kingdom of God. And that's what Paul is urging all of us to do here, to to live eagerly awaiting his, his return, is to say, I'm, I'm all into this thing. It's not going to always be easy. It's not always going to be comfortable. But I'm going to put myself out for something bigger than myself. And it's not, okay, Paul, Paul and Timothy were called to do the, in one sense, stand at the front and be the teachers and the pastors and all that sort of stuff. But this is also calling all of us who are not the pastor to come and serve and stay the course yes. and be the, be faithful coming in week in, week out, coming to church. Which you do, mate, yeah. really well, Phil. Yeah. You're Thanks. a supreme example of yeah. faithful service. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my, my, um, I have, um, my wife and I, our philosophy is we'll do what needs to be done. Always has been, uh, Phil. Always has been. And, so. that, and we, we appreciate that. Yeah. But the Lord, more importantly, he sees that heart because yeah. that's the kind of attitude that Paul is urging us to have in this story. Mm. Live for something bigger than yourself. Yeah. I'm just thinking like, yes, even getting um, asked or said, come over here and listen to, watch me do what to do what, um, come over here and watch me do the sound desk and get shown twice and then get said, okay, you can do the sound desk even though I cannot sing. Did I do that to you? Yes, you did. Oh, there you go. I don't uh, remember that. Yes. Sorry about that, Phil. <laughs> It's like, yes, for a period of time I did do the sound desk even though I cannot sing. You cannot sing. Um, yes. Oh, there's been plenty of people on the sound desk who have no sense of sound of being able to understand music. That's <laughs> true. So, yeah, there you go. That's been your attitude all the yeah. way through. And yes. I think that's a fulfilment of what we should all do is we should all say I'm in this thing. Yeah. I live yeah. for something bigger. I live for the kingdom of God. Yeah. It's not about me. No, that's right. So Paul's going to wrap up this chapter with really mm. just uh, final words um, which is really just a, a plea for Tim to come and hang out with him, I think. Yeah. 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 He's uh, probably, if I'm right, he's probably back in Rome. This is probably not the same time that he was in Rome at the end of the Book of Acts. He's been released. He's come back, I think, and he's he knows he's probably right near the end of his life and so he's reflecting back and he wants to see Timothy one more time in Rome. Yeah. And, and um, he says, by the way, you know, when you come, bring Mark. Yes. The one who left him. Which is the yeah. Mark who left him. Yeah. That's right, the Mark who abandoned him back in Crete. <laughs> yep, uh, Cyprus. Sorry, yeah. Cyprus. Yeah. Crete, Cyprus. Mm. Also, he was getting cold. He says, bring me, bring me my coat. 
Yeah. It was like, I just, interesting is like, why is coat? Well, was, well if you're in a Roman jail, <laughs> it's probably it's, cold. It's cold. Right. There's not, uh, there's, there's no one looking mm. after you there. Um, yeah. He's probably, he needs, if it's hot, he needs it for something to lie on. So yeah, he's, for whatever reason, he's in a jail yeah. and he, his coat's probably one of the dear treasures that he needs left for yeah. the latter days of his life. He's an old man by now. Yeah. Mm. And and probably it's like um, he says all these greetings to people um, and um, the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Well, glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Um, which is probably interesting comment. I just had that thought. is like, okay, he will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. And then we... I can't remember where in the scripture it talks about other um, saints that were torn in two. Hebrews and, 11. Yeah, torn in two and killed. Still uh, delivered. Still delivered. Into the kingdom. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. When he's saying he will deliver him from every evil attack, he's about to get his head chopped off. <laughs> so he's obviously not going to be delivered from that attack. But he didn't see that as anything other than an entry into, into glory. Him. So the worst that man can throw at him is still... For the glory. I think he says in Philippians, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Yeah. That's what he's living out here. Mm. Yeah. And he gives a final benediction at the end. Um, May the Lord be with your spirit. May his grace be with all of you. Mm. Uh, yeah. yeah. Fitting last words for the great Apostle Paul, mm. hey? Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's 2 Timothy. And we're going to head to the book of Matthew, Ma- into Matthew. the Gospels. Yes. Wow, since I've been in the Gospels on this podcast. Right. Jumping across in Matthew um, chapter 10, but uh, read the last um, verse in chapter 9, or the last two verses. Um, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says to them, he says, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the field. So which is talking about talking about service and serving. And it's like, well, God tells us to yeah, pray for the harvest, like, Pray for the workers yes. so we can actually do the job. To get the job done. Yeah. Yeah. And um, unfortunately, post-COVID, it's like to get the jobs done at the church, we need more serving. <laughs> Correct. And people are less willing to serve across the board uh, in churches. So we're talking about volunteering and we're uh, saying if you're listening to this and you're part of a church, our mm. church, any church, your church mm. needs you. Yeah. The kingdom of God needs you. Please volunteer. Yeah. Please, if you don't know where to start, just speak to your pastor, speak to a friend and say, hey, I'd love to get involved. Where mm. can I serve? Mm. Absolutely vital. The mm. kingdom of God is not done any other way than built on the back of the people of God. Mm. Even it's picking up the rubbish. Yeah, Piece of rubbish is on the floor. Absolutely. So Everything like, helps. Definitely. Definitely. So Jesus now, he sends out his 12, 12 apostles. Um, oh, I've got them called 12 apostles but, um, as the heading. Um, also then in the verse 1 it says this 12 disciples. disciples yep. So that's interchangeable. Um, tells them to cast out demons and um, heal the, every kind of disease and illness. Um, but he says, don't go to the Gentiles, the Samaritans, mm-hmm. but only to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. Um, why did he just say to the disciples, just go to the... Question. Go, uh, I think the it. answer to that is that Jesus' initial ministry was to the Jews. <laughs> Jesus obviously knew that he had a limited time on the earth 
And he, he certainly does reach out to Gentiles. We see yeah. he reaches out to the Gentiles on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. He goes to Tyre and Sidon and reach out, reaches out to a Syrio-Phoenician woman, reaches the centurion. So there were plenty of stories of Gentiles mm. being reached. But his primary mission was to fulfill Israel's Messiahship, to be the Messiah of Israel, to win the hearts of Israel back to God. And then he believed that what would happen is once he did that, Israel would then be the takers. Our previous month was about mission, that they would then be the takers from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So it's really more around, there's only so many of you to go around. I'm sending out 12 of you. So I need you to go and focus on the Israelites at this point. There'll be a day or come when you'll be sent to the Gentiles, but it's not yet. And so um, I liked, it's like, give give as freely as you have received. So it was like, a, it's like, well, no, um, God's given you all this stuff. So like he's given you um, his redemption, his grace, his mercy. So why don't you give it? Give it give away. away. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, be graceful to other No people. space in the kingdom of God to be receive God's goodness and then keep it for mm. ourselves, is there? Yeah. No. And the next part he talks about being hospitable. Yes. Um, it's like don't take any money with you, don't take any extra clothes or um, just go into the town and um, accept the hospitality that's given to you. Don't expect anything more um, because those who work deserves to be fed. So it's like just rely on the hospital- hospitality, um, which is so strong in the in the culture, the yes. Middle Eastern culture. Yes. Yeah. The hospi- uh, hospitality is... Um, and it even is still today. Yeah. I know I've been told that if you go into a um, an Arab family that you can walk into their house and sit down and it's their culture is to feed you. Absolutely it is. Yeah, you I wouldn't I know Jean, them. Jeannie talked about this with her yeah. experience being um, meeting Arabs. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, you wouldn't know them from Barra so No. They're... they're um, that's yeah. They just have to feed you. It's their culture, and um, oh, it's a shameful thing think, not to. And and yeah. for many of us too, if we, um, you know, you see this in some cultures. For those of us who are white Western Australians, like like you and I are, um, you know, it's actually rude not to accept hospitality. Mm. To turn away food is like, oh, do you have to keep feeding me? You go into a Middle Eastern place, they'll just keep feeding you, and you think there's only so much I can have. But but you actually are shameful by not accepting yeah. it yes. because. Um, because it's because it's just it's their way to be generous. It's mm. it's built into their culture, mm. hospitality. And mm. Jesus is saying that very openly yeah. here, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know if you remember when I talked to Jeannie about this podcast. He, is he'll actually go. Jesus will go on here and he'll draw a direct, direct link between Sodom and Gomorrah. He says it's uh, it's yes. worse for those if you go to these towns and they don't show you hospitality, it'd be better for Sodom and Gomorrah than it would on those days. And there's definitely in my mind a link here between that sense of lack of hospitality that Sodom and Gomorrah had and didn't have and what Jesus is saying. He's drawing a line there. That yeah. For whatever you think about Sodom and Gomorrah, a big part of it was their complete lack of hospitality. Mm. They they were violating. It was one of the worst things you could do in the in a Middle Eastern culture where water is scarce, <clears throat> not, not, you know, there's not much mm. food, long time between towns. To not show someone hospitality was, was abhorrent. There's no yeah. other way to put it. It's, we yeah. can't fathom that now, culture today. But yeah, yeah. I must be know. Always remember, it's like okay. When you uh, first twelve, it says when you enter the house, give it your blessing. If it turns out to be a worthy home, let your blessing stand. If not, take it back. Back your blessing. I think I can remember hearing one person saying that um, it was they were like instructed to go to only one house 
in one sense and stay at the one house or somewhere in the scriptures it talks about staying in one house only. Um, don't go to, from house to house to house because what's ultimately going to happen is you're going to end up staying in that, in that community for the next like rest of your life is because everybody will oh, want to stay in your house and yes. it's like, well, no, well, you've got to bless me by being in my house. Be, so yeah, okay. it's like, no, I'll, let me just be in one house. One house. I've only got a limited amount of time and then I've got to keep that going. Makes sense. Yep, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, tells us to be wise, um, sending out like sheep among wolves. Um, shrewd as be shrewd as snakes, harmless as doves. Um, so being being wary. Yeah, um, it's like yeah. using wisdom, isn't it? Yeah. The, the 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 shrewd of snake here is is a wisdom. It's a wisdom language here. It's like the serpent in the Garden of Eden was mm. was wise. It says he was shrewd. I knew the way the world worked, and and Jesus isn't saying being cynical here, but he's saying understand the way the world works. Make sure that you play your cards close to your chest when you need to. Mm. Stay generous, but be be wise in the ways of the world. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Because the next verse is like basically you're going to be persecuted. Yeah, um, and yeah, sheep among wolves tells you yeah. something, doesn't it? Yeah, and you will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell the rulers and other believers about me, which is what we just read in two Timothy. Yep, exactly. Um, use use every opportunity you've got. Um, for it's not you who will be speaking, it will be the spirit of the, your father speaking through you. So um, it's a reminder for us not to be fearful. No, that uh, we can, uh, we, if we trust the Lord, he will, he will use us when we open our mouth. He will use us mm. to represent him to mm. those around us. I'd written for that part, God is with you. That was like, yeah, just a reminder, God is with you. Don't worry. All the nations will hate you because you are my followers, which no. Uh, already be discussed, but everyone who endures to the end will be saved. And I just reminded me of a song called, um, of Bon Jovi, Keep the Faith. Keep the faith. <laughs> Stay the course. <laughs> Stay the course. Keep the faith. Yep, that's right. Um, it's nothing. There's much to be said for just, just turning up, Phil. Yes. Turning up. So that was, and probably, oh, I'm just trying to think, 20, 24 is like, um, did I? Yeah, students are not greater than the teacher and slaves are not greater than the masters. Um, students are to be like their teacher, slaves are to be like their master, but you're not supposed to be bigger than the other sort mm-hmm. of thing. So it's like being wise, being humble, that's sort of, I can get out of that. Sort yep. Of, yeah. Yeah, in the context that he's telling them to, he's telling them, giving guidelines for how to go yeah. and be get like out me. there, be like me, get out there yeah. and represent me. Don't try to big note yourself. You don't need to be better than me. You just... Go out there and say what I said. Be like Paul said, you know, in the last chapter, do what I've done. Say what I've said. Just tell the people what I've taught you yeah. and you'll be fine. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's good for all of us. We don't have to have the answers to every question. No. We don't even have to – it's okay to say we don't have the answer, but we know where we can go and get the yeah. answer. Yeah. So, yeah, just mm. you don't have to be superhuman. You just have to be yourself. Yeah. yeah. I don't know the answer, but I know the one who has, has the answer. Has the answer. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and then you can explain that to the person that you've just told it to. Yeah, think that comes something you yeah. can tell, in, and and then you can go away and say, "I'll find that answer." Well, let's have a conversation yeah. about that. We'll meet and have a coffee. Yeah. That's right. I actually have the question: is verse twenty six is like, but don't be afraid of those who threaten you, for the time is coming when everything that is covered will be revealed, and all that is secret will be made known to all. What I tell you now in the darkness, shout abroad when daybreak comes. What I whisper in your ear, shout from the housetops for all to hear. Why is Jesus saying, uh, like, I'm, I'm telling you stuff now that's in the darkness? 
Um, but at some point it's, mm. you can then talk about it. or There's quite a few cryptic so, cryptic little one-liners in this that. little charge, isn't there? Yeah. That warrant some deeper thinking. Uh, so he's, ta- he's sending them out and he's saying, what I tell you now in the darkness, shout abroad when daybreak comes. So I'd be going, okay, well, when does daybreak come? What's he talking about? When, when am I, you know, there's certain things Jesus is telling me, but now it's out. I wonder if it's just been, I wonder if it's just as simple as Jesus has been saying, hey, I've been teaching you for a while. You've been hanging out with me for mm. a while. I've checked you. I've now chosen you 12. You've been among mm. the group that have been hanging out with me for a while. Now it's time to go out there and tell more people what I've been telling you over the campfire and night and all mm. that kind of stuff. I think it may be as simple as that, but I don't know if there's more depth to it than mm. that. Mm. I, I think yeah. it, given that he's telling them to go out there and preach about everything they've heard, I think that, that fits mm. the context. Yeah. It's basically saying, okay, now it's daybreak. Yeah. Oh, you've been learning a lot in the night time, but now get out there and tell everyone. Mm. I think that's yeah. what's going on. Because mm. the other thing is um, in the next um, um, very, um, I think in chapter 13, which we'll get to, it talks about um, all these different parables and Jesus talks, says, um, ultimately, at one point, he says, "Well, I tell tell the people out there all these parables, so that they don't understand, yes. because they're not willing to search and dig yeah, dig into it. Yeah, that's right. Um, so I'm telling you, them in the and so they're still in the dark. That's right. So, yeah. so um, now I'm telling you what the secrets are. I'm telling you to dig in a little bit. I'm going to tell you some secrets, and I want you to. The time will come when I want you to then tell them, tell them, tell them the secrets. Yeah. Yep. That's right." And I'm sure everybody's, or people who've been in Bible circles have heard the next things where it's like, don't be afraid of those who want to kill you, cannot touch your soul for um, God is the only one who can destroy soul and body. Because, um, not a single sparrow can, can fall without the God knowing about it. And the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows, mm. which um, it's amazing when you actually think that. Like we're more valuable yep. to God than the sparrows who have been intricately made. Yep. And, and you know, God watching over them. And how much well. more is he watching over you? Mm. Yep. And so it's, it's a nice faithful reminder. Especially when he's just told them, that, you know, you're going to go out there, there's going to be people who misunderstand <clears throat> you, throw you in court, you know, throw you before the judge and all that sort of stuff. So he's giving them some some sober warnings, but he's saying, it's okay though. Yeah. I'll be with you. Yeah. I've got this. It's all right. I've got Jesus with me. So question to ask is verse 33 sort of onwards. It says, everyone who denies me here on earth, I'll also deny before my father in heaven. But then it says, don't imagine that I came to bring peace on the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Come to set up a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against the mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your household. Isn't Jesus supposed to be man of peace? It's pretty confronting language, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. When you think, oh, Jesus isn't, didn't, you know, Jesus came to bring peace, good good news and peace to men, as it says in the Christmas, yeah. and the angels declare. And yet Jesus is saying, seeming to say the opposite here. So I think let's put it in its context. The context is a chapter where he's sending his disciples out to preach the word of God. He knows that some will receive it and others won't. It's the nature of God's word. Mm. Paul will put it, he will describe it this way. Paul will say, the word of God is the uh, the sweet aroma of life to some, 
and the stench of death to others. So the thing about the word of God, the truth of the gospel is that those who are ready to receive it, it becomes life to them. But for those who want to live their own way, continue to define what's right for themselves, selfishly living, the call to live the upside down kingdom, the call to, uh, to turn your life around and live for something bigger than yourself, it seems so ridiculous and that will cause division and tension. And this that will then cause a, a rift in within people that may not have necessarily shown itself prior to that delivering of that word of God. Think about, you know, if you're if you've got people in your family who are antagonistic towards the things of God, there's kind of a, a sword, there's a there's a rift there. Mm. But, but, but Jesus here isn't saying go around and wield that sword. He's just he's just stating the way it is. He's just saying these things will happen. When my word comes, there will be men turn against father. There will be daughter against mother and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. You will have enemies in your own household. And he's saying, but make sure that you prioritize me. Yep. Put, keep, keep the course. Put me first. Trust me. And if you do that, he says, if you re- verse 38, if you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. So, yes, the Christian life is there's going to be times when, when living by your convictions will in itself uh, seemingly put a rift between you and other people. And that's not to say go around. He's not Jesus isn't saying go around obnoxiously. He's not saying go around. Like he said to Timothy, he said, do it gently. It's not saying go around and just be a bull in a china shop and say, well, stuff you. This is what I believe. I'm right. You're wrong. You know, you're going to hell. It's not saying that. He's just trying to call Christians to be aware that there will be tension. Okay. And how can you live with that? Will you live with that but being as innocent as a dove and as shrewd as a viper. Yeah. That's how I read yeah. that. Yeah. And that puts in context and explains it. Uh, yeah. Um, I love, I like, I've sort of, I like the, the reward that's at the end of this chapter. Mm. Um, anyone who receives you receives me. Yes. So if you welcome a follow believer in um, and listen and understand and learn, um, you're like receiving Christ. Yes. Remember, he's setting them out. So he's saying, yeah. you know, anyone who receives, it's like I'm coming into town. When you two go in two by two, I'm coming yeah. into town. Yeah. Yep. Um, if you receive a prophet as one who speaks for God, you'll be given the same reward as a prophet. It's uh, wonderful, isn't it? Yeah. And if you re- So that reception of hospitality is as important as the person who's delivering the gift mm. themselves. Mm. So if you receive a person in a position of leadership in the church, you receive them as hospitality, you actually get the same reward. Yeah. It just reminds me of... um. Elijah or Elijah where he goes through a town and there's a woman who says, come and I'll build you yep. a room, put a room on the back of the house yep. and you can Elijah. come and stay. Yep. Um, and, and Elijah then gives her um, a child. Yep, that's um, right. As a, as a reward. Yep. So, yeah. Well, the Lord gives the child, well, the Lord, but, but yes, no. but it is a reward Lord, for her, her generosity. Her hospitality, basically. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's a good example of it. Um, and if you give a, even a cold of water to one of the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded. Mm, powerful. Yeah. So it's not just also serving those above. Yeah, it's, it's serving, serving the those. least of these, yeah. isn't it? That's a good yeah. good point, the yeah. least of my followers. Mm. It's because you can serve those above you for like a bit like a Heathfield, trying yeah. to get the best That's out of trying to, to want weasel yeah. your way in, but there's nothing to be gained by serving the least of these. Mm. But Jesus sees that. Yeah. That's yeah. great, Phil. Yeah. Sit at the, um, yeah, when you come to a banquet, sit at the bottom of the rung. That's right. And you will get risen up. It's upside down kingdom, isn't it? Yeah. That's yeah. what he's calling his disciples mm-hmm. to here. 
upside down kingdom living, and he's calling those who who he will, the disciples will go to reach to reach out to to live this yeah. kind of way too. Put others before yourself. Mm. Yeah. Mm. All right. Matthew 13, 13 is coming up now. Yes. Matthew chapter 13, um, 50 odd verses, and we're going to go through them each one by one. No, we're not. No, we're not. <laughs> no, There's we're about not. Six, to, six parables in this chapter, uh, plus an explanation of one of them. So yeah. it's a long chapter in that so sense. It, so it is. So we're not going to go one by one, and you can look at the parables, but it's more of like getting overall of um, why do we talk in parables? Why would Jesus talk in parables? Um, so. That's and how do you and how would he, how do we deal with parables? How do we how do we approach the parables yeah. of Jesus? Because some of his most uh, articulate teaching is done through parables, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, why did Jesus start off using parables? Well, one of his disciples asked him that question. He says, "Hey, why do you always speak to the people in parables?" And he gives an answer. He says something to the. I don't even know where this is. But you might have it written down there somewhere. Is it in this? It's, it's in this one. It's chapter, in this chapter. First ten. Verse 10, is it? Okay, well, let's wow. read it. His disciples came and asked him, there you go, it is right here. <laughs> Why do you use parables? He replied, you're permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who aren't listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. That is why I use parables. For they look, and he quotes from Isaiah, I think it is, for they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really understand. Here it is. This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah. When you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For these hearts of these people have hardened, their ears cannot hear, they've closed their eyes so their eyes cannot see and their ears cannot hear and their hearts cannot understand and I can, uh, and they cannot turn to me and be healed. So his answer is, is in itself almost parabolic in its answer yeah. in, in this question. He, it took me a long time to really settle on this because you can read that as if to say Jesus is being deceptive in telling parables. He's always like he's trying to hide the truth. Mm. Well, because why? if I tell them the truth, then they can turn to me and get healed. That's right. That's how it reads, doesn't yeah. it? And that's what I wrestled with for years. I think where I've come to now in more recent years is the, the telling of parables and the, the withholding of truth is actually a sign of grace in itself because it's actually Jesus recognizing here that some people just will not believe. And uh, John will say, John's gospel will say, Jesus will say to the Pharisees, if you were really blind, you wouldn't be guilty of sin. Mm. But the problem is you claim you can see. Now you're guilty of sin. I think what it is a sign of grace that he's saying, I'm not just going to tell it all to you in black and white because then you're going to be held accountable for everything that you're given. So by me not Hold, not telling it all to you, there's, I'm telling enough of it that those are hungry, those that are leaning in, those that want to learn, they'll, the, the, the nuggets mm. of truth are there. And what's more, you'll actually get more out of it by digging into it than if I just told you at surface level. So that's that's the benefit for those of us who, who want to dig in and learn about the kink secrets of the kingdom. But at the same time, for those who just have a scoffing attitude, who have a half-baked, half-hearted attitude, Jesus is actually showing grace by by allowing the truth to be hidden so that they won't be held accountable for what they didn't really yeah. grasp and understand. I don't know if that's what you feel. That's where I've come to on the answer to this question over the years. Oh, I have. 
I have sort of along those lines. Um, <clears throat> giving you these little seeds, nuggets that you've got to search out and it becomes a lot more, you value it more. Definitely. Um, yep. It's like you start a course, a free course. Here's a free course for you. You're not going to get any value out of it. If you've got to pay for it, it actually costs you something. You're going to be more. Maybe we should charge for this podcast, Phil. Oh yeah. I oh, know. I'm just <laughs> kidding, folks. Um, but just like the parable of, um, yeah, don't give pearls to a swine because they're just going to trample it. Yes. It's Same concept. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Um, and and you know Jesus is the master at answering a question with a question. Mm. I think that he does that because a good psychologist will tell you the best way to to get someone to make a decision is not to tell them the answer, but to give them the right question so that they mind the, make the decision themselves and come to a revelation themselves because it carries more weight. When someone discovers it for themselves compared to if they're told it, yeah. statistically they're much more likely to do it. So I think that's the way Jesus is working. Mm. So for those of us who are seeking, sometimes it would be nice to go, Jesus, why don't you just tell us in black and white? What do we have to dig? Mm. But I think Jesus knows that, hey, if you if you'll mind the riches of this, if you'll actually spend time studying it, putting it in context, learning from it, you'll learn lessons that you will actually remember and do mm. that you wouldn't have learned and done if I just told it to you straight. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I think that's a good approach to the parables, isn't it? I love where um, Jesus says, blessed are your eyes because you see, your ears because they hear. I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but they didn't see it. Um, this is people from in the Old Testament. Mm. So this is saying many prophets and people in the Old Testament long to see what you, you guys see. you guys get it now. Yeah. You're getting the whole thing. Yeah, uh, they long to hear it, but you didn't. But they didn't hear it. So it's like it's there. The nuggets there for us to um, go looking for. Yep. And towards the end of the chapter in verse fifty-two, well, it's Jesus asks them in verse fifty-one, "Do you understand all these things?" And they go, yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. Mm, really? Not really, I don't think. I think you've got a lot of learning <laughs> to do yet, guys. You didn't see him as the full Messiah until after he That's rose. Right. So, yeah. um, But it says in verse 52, it says, Then he added, Every teacher of religious law who becomes a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like a homeowner who brings from his storeroom new gems of truth as well as old. It's a continual search. Mm. It's a lifelong search. Um, into the scriptures and, yeah. It's a commitment to lifelong learning. Yes. And so he's talking about religious law here. These are these are the epitome. These are the people who were the teachers of Israel. And he's saying some of you are just so stuck in the past, you're not up for anything fresh. But those who, who will embrace what they've learned in the past but stay open and hungry to lifelong, committed to lifelong learning will bring out old and new. Mm. Yeah. And that's something I've learned over time is like, oh, listen to people and it's like, oh, um, yeah, they explained the the gospel or some scripture in this way and I've come down the track in my life and it's like mm, I found out there's a different way to That's right. read it, understand it. Yep. Um, it's multi-level. It's multifaceted and you're bringing out new gems mm. and old ones. Mm. That's right. Yeah. yeah. It's the importance of staying committed to lifelong learning. Mm. So, yeah, mm. study those parables. Yep, for sure. More and more. And then right at the end of this chapter, for no apparent reason, after six parables and a couple of explanations, is this tacked-on story, which is actually found in Luke 4 and Luke's Gospel, where he's rejected in his hometown. Mm. Uh, it's like, I don't know why Matthew throws it in there, but it's just saying that he wasn't, you know, he, they scoffed at him, they didn't recognise him in his hometown. So that's one place we're going to visit when we go to Israel next year. 
Yes, we Nazareth. will definitely go to Nazareth, and you'll see probably the hill where they were going to throw him over. Yeah. We've been there too. Yep. Yep. So, traditional site. Yeah. There's not many hills around. Well, the whole thing's a hill, so mm. it's pretty obvious where they're going to toss yeah. him off. Yep. Yeah. So, so that's uh, Matthew 13. Yep. Now so, we're skipping ahead to like 10 chapters or something, aren't we? Yeah, to 23. Matthew 23 for the last one. Matthew 23, so the last chapter for this podcast, um, for today. For today. today. Today's podcast, yeah. yep. Yeah, not the last podcast, but today's This lot. episode, yep. Yes. <laughs> Where Jesus criticises um, religious leaders, but also you can take it that anybody who is religious or tries to be religious and lorded over somebody else yeah. and say, look at me, look at me. Self-righteous, you might yes. say. Yes. Um. I love it. first three. He's, he's saying to the leaders, um, so practice and obey what the leaders tell you, but don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they <laughs> teach. Pretty damning, isn't it? Yes. Um, it was like that when you, um, yeah, you're telling the kid, do what I say, don't do what I do. That's exactly what Jesus <laughs> is saying they're doing. Yep. Um, they crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. That's. Yes, it's like look in the mirror, look at the log in your own eye. Yep. Parable. They love making rules that you cannot follow. They travel the world to um, recruit one one disciple, and then they make their life so unbearable that they probably wish they were dead. Yeah, I think it says like, make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. I yeah. think he says at one point he's he's this pretty scathing on on the 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 dangers of self righteous religion here. And, it, and as a leader, as I read this as a leader, it's humbling and it's challenging to me yeah. because I want to make sure that my heart as a leader that leads people into the ways of God doesn't use people for my own benefit because yeah. that's what these guys were doing mm. and Jesus is he's ruthless on that. These are some of the harshest words come out of Jesus' mouth. Mm. And it's almost, it almost reeks of sarcasm. Mm. But I think Jesus is so adamant about the, the poison of leaders who use and abuse people for their own benefit, that he will be very strong in this passage. Mm. Well, verse 13 is like, um, you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You won't go in yourselves and you won't let others in either. It's really sobering, Mm. sobering for us. You may remember me. Were you with me when I was uh, reading these words in the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem rather loudly, Phil? Were you there? Yes, yes. So there was a story, folks. We had uh, Matt and Graham, a couple of the guys, and, you know, we don't go in, we let the people know, don't go into church areas with shorts on. It's just a respectful thing to do, but it was a hot day and Matt and Graham were happy not to go in. I was just going to stay in the foyer area and a priest decided that um, he would tell them off, among other things, and pointed and spoke in whatever language you're speaking in and pointing and carrying on and how dare you, and you can see it in his in his uh, self-righteous loathing of anyone who would be so disrespectful as to even come near the doors of a church mm. wearing shorts, uh, let alone he wasn't going anywhere near, you know, the, the holy place with the birth of Jesus and so on. And uh, and so I just cracked open these words and started to read them rather loudly in earshot. I didn't know if he understood me, but I really got pretty fired up about it because that was what Jesus was rebuking here was this yeah. sense of, you, you, you just not let it, you, you, what did he say? You, you just read it. Um, you don't, you yourself don't enter. You don't and let you, anyone, oh, 
Yeah, you still don't it. enter, and then you stop others who are trying to enter from coming in. Yeah. It's that Jesus just is pretty adamant about that. There was one part in here I was like, oh, it sort of contradicts his um, where it, verse 8. It says, don't let anyone call you rabbi, for you have only one teacher, and all of you are equal as brothers and sisters. And don't address anyone here as father, for only God in heaven is your father. Don't let anyone call you teacher, for you only have one teacher, the Messiah. The greatest among you must be a servant. Um, those who are exalted themselves will be humbled, and those who are humble themselves will be exalted. But it was like, the power there is like, well, should we not call you Pastor Rowan? Mm. Good question. Good question. Yeah. So let's put it in its context. He's rebuking the, because he starts with, these religious people, they sit in Moses' seat. They are the authorized people. Do as they say, but don't do as the, they do. So this whole chapter is about rebuking those who are misusing their power. So in that context, when he says, don't let anyone call you rabbi, he's saying, don't let anyone call you rabbi because you don't need to take the glory for yourself. They were going around going, oh, it's it's Rabbi Rowan to you. Thank you very much. Mm. You know, how dare you just call me Rowan? Mm. It's Rabbi Rowan to you. That's That was the attitude they had. Yeah. And Jesus was going, it's not about that. So, and that's the context of what he's saying here. So it's not, and, and I'm quite happy. I don't care whether the person calls me Pastor Rowan or Rowan. I really <laughs> don't care at all. I have people who call me both. The issue is always the heart attitude. I walk into a doctor's surgery. I always say, I was in the doctor's surgery. I always say, hello, doctor, and thank you, doctor. Simply, not, not because the doctor needs it. It's just, to, to me, it's, it's a willingness to place myself un, underneath somebody um, in order that I believe that that person has got a gifting on their life, they've got a skill, they've got something that I can gain from by putting myself in a position of humility. Yeah. So I don't care whether someone calls me Rowan or not. The people who could be call me they could call me Pastor Rowan, but they have no respect for me. Well, that's, I don't care, but they're missing out. But there's others who could call me Rowan, but have a deep respect, not for me personally, but for the gift that's in me. And I would say the same about those who pass to me. I would say Pastor Stephen Deb White. I don't call pastors who are my pastors and, you know, been my pastors for many years. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say, oh, you know, hey, hey, Steve, hey, hey Deb. I wouldn't call, well, call them Pastor Stephen, Pastor Deb. But there's a respect there that I believe is yeah. is helpful. And so I think that's what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying demand it. I think the message is give honour where honour is due. But if you start demanding honour from people, that's when you've got yourself the wrong way around here. Good. Yeah. Good. Just remind me of um, growing up we had a police constable in a small country town and he said to basically everybody, or it, especially to the kids, the young teenagers, he said, just call me Chris. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they got out of line and disrespected him, he said it's Constable Bell. Yes, okay. Until you can respect me again, then you can call me Chris. Exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. So the, the naming of Chris could be a flippant, oh, you, you're not important. Yeah. That's destructive and unhealthy. But if you're naming Chris but you still have that healthy sense of respect, because a name, a title doesn't – it can be indicative of that. Yeah. But it can also – it doesn't necessarily – automatically correlate to the attitude we have. Mm. I think this is what Jesus is getting at in this little bit where he mm. says this. Mm. And I think for me, I want to make sure that I keep myself in a position where those who've gone before me who are further along the journey than me, I want to honour them so that I can receive from them the gift that God has placed on their mm. life. I think that's what Jesus is talking about here in this in this verse. Yeah. I mean, he really, he really um, yeah, sticks it to the, the leaders. Oh, yes, he does. What, uh, verse 23, what sorrow awaits you teachers in relig of religious law and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even, even the tiniest income from your herb garden, 
but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy and faith. You should type yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Um, blind guides, you strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, but you swallow a camel instead. So, Sarcasm, isn't it? Yes. Strain uh, out your water <laughs> and you find yourself actually swallowing a camel. Mm. I just loved oh, this part because it, uh, this is one thing I've always loved. Is like, okay, you're so careful to do the, um, the letter of the law, but they miss the big picture. Yep. They're very good at the letter of the law. They miss the spirit of the law. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's what Jesus is rebuking them on here. Yeah. They're tithers. They go to their garden and go, oh, I've got t- 10 cloves out of my garden today. I'm going to make sure I give one, ten, one of those to the Lord and tithe that. And he's going, well, that's all well and good, but what's the point in doing that if you miss the spirit of the law, which is tithing is part of God's purpose for justice, mercy, and faith. Yeah. You're going, oh, what a righteous person I am because I tithe a tenth of my, a tenth, one tenth of the leaves mm. that I took out of my mint garden today. Jesus is going, well, that's all well and good, but you, meanwhile, you're abusing people and controlling people and misusing them. And he's going, that's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. You so. strain your water to swallow it to, so you don't swallow. And, and that was an unclean animal. He's going, you, you, you're doing all this stuff to make sure that you, lest you drink a glass of water and there was a gnat that flew in there and you drink that and you're impure. And he goes, and his analogy is here, you think you're missing out on the unclean gnat, you're swallowing an unclean camel. Yeah. It's really obvious what he's saying, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing is, this is where I love it when people um, in today's world who sort of say, oh, it's the tithing is Old Testament. Oh, yeah. Jesus. And Jesus here is saying, yes, you should tithe. Yeah, he's, he's certainly commending, commending them for their the tithing. tithing. He's saying, do that and. And, yeah. Do that and. And for those of us who tithe, if we just do tithing and we aren't, and we aren't focused on justice and the love of the poor and the care for the poor, then we are no different okay. to the Pharisees. Mm. So it's this and. What's your attitude behind this? If you, it's if it's for your own glory, you're seizing for yourself. You're eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You're taking from yourself. Jesus is rebuking that. Mm. But he is saying that a, a genuine love for God will necessitate a living a life that is caring for others, that yeah. is justice, mercy, and faith is yeah. three things that Jesus said yeah. there in verse 23. Mm. Um Continues on, uh, you whitewashed tombs. Yeah, there's another powerful picture. Yes. Um, so what they would do is they would take a tomb because they weren't allowed to walk over dead bodies. They would actually whitewash the outside of the tomb so it was obvious mm-hmm. that you, there was no dead body there. You, there was a dead body and you wouldn't go over yeah. it. And Jesus is using that analogy to say, <laughs> that's what you're like. <laughs> you know, on the outside, everyone knows what you you look like you're all got it together, but inside you're full of greed and selfish indulgence. Start with what's on the inside of you, he's saying. So it's definitely like don't become legalistic. Mm. Um, and, I'm, uh, and I'm sure over time we've all become legalistic to a point. Oh, yes, uh, it's it's human nature. nature. Yeah. Mm. Colossians talks about it. Go back to do not taste, do not touch, do not handle. It's, yeah. it's in the human nature. But Jesus would urge us to not think that our good works somehow earn us favour with God. There was like the final part where is um, Jesus grieves over Jerusalem mm-hmm. and um, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones, the, um, God's messengers. Uh, how often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. Uh, it's definitely like, um, yeah, no, come in out of the rain, but it's like, no, I want to stay out here. Yes. Um, now look, your house is abandoned, desolate. For I tell you this, you will never see me again until you say, blessing on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. 
Jesus is really sort of saying, this is, yeah, I've tried reaching you. Yep. You've sort of, um, time is time has come for me to shake the dust off my feet. Yes, yes. That's figuratively so speaking, that's what he's doing with Jerusalem. Yeah. I've, I've given you every chance. Um, if you knew, because other versions will say, if you knew only this day and this hour that has come to you, but now it's yeah. hidden from you. Jesus has come to this point where he's given the Pharisees, he's given the religious leaders every chance to repent. Yeah. And they haven't. And he's going, okay, well, I'm going to come to Jerusalem, I'm going to die. And But he also will say in the Olivet Discourse, he'll say, he'll go on and explain how Jerusalem, that's it. Yeah. Jerusalem's going to, he's going to be destroyed by the pagans, mm. um, the Gentiles. And I love that, like he says, for I tell you this, you will never see me until you say again, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord, which comes from Psalm 118. Psalm something, yep. Psalm 118. Um, Psalm 118, 26, yep. Yeah. So it's sort of saying when Jesus comes back, sort of thing like, oh, that was. So uh, Psalm 118, 26. This will be a good example, folks, of what is called a remez, I'm assuming, mm-hmm. which is. Um, when, it qu- when a quote that seems slightly out of context doesn't quite make sense, the, you've got to remember these guys have had it loaded up the Old Testament into their brain. So they straight away will go back and they'll look at the col- whole context yeah. of Psalm 118 and there'll be more in Psalm 118 that will illuminate the context of yes. Matthew 23 where we just were. Mm. The whole chapter seems like, Lord is my strength, my song. He's given me a victory. Like he's saying... Psalm 118. 118, 118 yes. Yeah, Psalm 118. It's like it's a song of um, give thanks to the Lord for His good. Um, I think it's actually a song of the Messiah, Messiah entering. It's yeah. it's a song of God's kingdom coming, because um, yeah, you say it says things like open up the gates that the righteous may enter. So this, this would have been about Jerusalem. So this is a picture of this psalm is a picture of God entering into His kingdom in Jerusalem, and at the same time, it's prophetically talking about it. We won't go yeah. into it, but read Psalm 118, guys. It's, I'm just glancing through it now. Yeah. It's prophetically a messianic prophecy, and it's saying that the way that it will happen is the stone that the builders rejected will become the cornerstone. So it's prophesying that the way yeah. to the kingdom is actually going to be through the Messiah's death. Yeah. Uh, this is the day the Lord has made, Yep, and we will rejoice there. and be glad in it. Clap, clap. Yep, that's right. That's all in there. So it's it's definitely a prophetic psalm about the coming of God's kingdom, and Matthew's picked up on that yeah. and used that little quote to tell you, go back go and back read now. the whole thing, yes. and you will see that when Jesus is saying this, how's the kingdom going to come? It's not going to come the way you thought. It's going to come because you had every chance to welcome me, and you didn't. Yes. So now you're going to miss out. The kingdom is going to be taken away from you. Yeah. Um and uh, the last last verse of that one of Psalm 118, like, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Yep. So God's faithful. For yeah. sure. Yeah. Even when we are faithless, faithless, God is faithful. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, that's right. Matthew 23. That's done, done, is it? It is. All right. Well, that's the end of our podcast. It is. Well, the end Thank of this episode. You. Yes. Thanks for being with me, Phil. No problem. Are you back Seems for another one before the end of the year? I don't know. If, no. No, not, not before the end of the year. Yeah. No. Next year. Next year. We'll get into it. All right. Yes. Well, thanks for being with us, everyone, no and uh, have a wonderful week. Chat we'll soon. see you next year in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, yep. Yeah. We keep. If you want to come to find out more about Israel, let us know. Reach out. We'll have some information for you soon. All good. See ya. See you guys. 